Cinema Oddities, Late Night Movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I know you'll probably feel like you're being tricked or made fun of, but you're not. I promise you, you're not. As we continue, the, oh, you think you're being tricked right off the bat? Uh, I know I'm tricked. <laughs> no, I'm being tricked. It's uh, it's okay to be paranoid if you're right. Something along those lines, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> so we are here continuing the time travel series with um, I, I was about to say a big left turn from last week with clock stoppers, but I should probably say maybe like a, a big temporal shift from clock stoppers <laughs> because as we talked about, of course, you know, clock stoppers wasn't really a time travel movie as the time dilation movie, or as we, as I, we rationalized it to ourselves that that was a, um, you know, the time travel in that film was the characters, you know, traveling through time in a different way. And as Zach said, right. you know, we're all time travelers. <laughs> traveling through time at a different speed. Exactly. I, tra- I travel through time one second per second. Whoa, yeah. dude. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you get that good? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, practice. Pra- yeah, that practice makes perfect. Um, but now we are discussing something that is more of a, a true form of what people think of when they think of time travel. They think of time travel as, you know, actually going physically to a different time. Uh, not that this is, you know, the, uh, the quote, the canonical version of time travel. I think there's some, some uniqueness to this, but we're discussing one of Rob's favorite movies of all time, Primer. Oh, man. I'm so glad that we get to discuss this. I even think I mentioned last week when Zach pitched this time travel series, I was like, you sold me because that's how we're going to get Primer involved. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And so um, I've seen this movie a bunch. I mean, I have, I've, I have tons of thoughts about it, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, and, and that type of thing. But, you know, as I was formulating my notes and stuff like that for this recording, there was something that, that popped into my head. I know we mentioned last week that on the Patreon, our kind of tie-in for this uh, this series on the main feed was Assassin's Creed, because Assassin's Creed has that sense of genetic memory, and, you know, in that in our Patreon discussion, everybody go check it out, patreon.com slash cinemodities, we talk a lot about how, you know, that's a very kind of interesting form of time travel. It might be one of the most realistic in terms of, like, if humans ever came up with time travel, some sense of genetic Genetic memory could be a possibility. I mean, we, I think we sure. liked it better than the idea of, oh, I got into a machine and now I'm in caveman times, you know, something like that. Yeah, we we probably discussed the, the like spatial problems with time traveling. Yep, yep, we discussed the spatial problems. Oh, uh, you bring up a great notion of um, of you know storing time in the past, and I, I call it God's hard drive or something like that. Ah, yes. um, and so, but yeah, it's a great great discussion. But you know, also in regards to the Patreon. When I was thinking about this last night, uh, Primer and time travel in general, something that popped into my head, which I didn't think of last week, which I should have, I was like, does Adventure Time have time travel in it? And I, because of course, Ben and I, um, well, I guess I should ask you, Ben, since we go through the turnstiles, since we go through the box in the Cinemodities podcast, are you aware that you and I are covering all of Adventure Time in order on the Patreon? <laughs> How did I let you convince me to do that? <laughs> Or how how will I let you convince me to do that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but that's what, another thing. If you join the Patreon, of course, you know, every month Ben and I discuss uh, two episodes of Adventure Time. We're going through it with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, we're only in season two, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good fun if you like Adventure Time or if you like, you know, 
uh, looking at an 11-minutes kids show, kids in air quotes, as we talk about a lot, you know, with great detail. But I, I, I really thought to myself, I was like, oh, is there time travel in Adventure Time? And, you know, of course, I think of, oh, they go kind of dimension hopping in later seasons. Um, we definitely get, you know, different universes. We get offshoots of universes when um, Finn makes a stupid wish to Prismo and stuff like that. And Prismo is, you know, the existence of Prismo in general. Um, but then it came to me. We're not going to cover this on the Patreon for a while because, you know, it's so far out in the future. But, Ben, do you remember the episode where Princess Bubblegum basically, like, invents that orb? And, like, the orb can set a state... And then if you go back into that orb, you can go back to the state at which it was previously set. And that's also the episode where the entire border is like a weird, like, doodles and creatures. Does this ring a bell at all? It's like season seven or something, I think. No, I don't. I'm not sure that I've even seen it. Okay, okay. It's it's way out there. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was if it came out when we were still watching it together or if it was afterwards. Um, but it's also the episode where uh, Lumpy Space Princess, like, she... She has. She wants to get a boyfriend or something, and like things go wrong. So she tries to like reset the boyfriend, but she puts him in the orb and and like resets his his temporal state without having a previous state set, and he just like evaporates into the void. So she like kills somebody. Um, but I, when I thought of that, because I was like, oh, there is some notion of time travel in Adventure Time. That this whole idea of the orb and going back to a previous state, I was like, oh. That's like the box and primer to some extent. So even sure. though we know we don't have a direct connection to um, Adventure Time on the, the episodes we're covering on Patreon now, uh, I thought it was pretty cool that we have um, you know some connection. So I just wanted to throw that out there and, of course, to talk about Adventure Time. I'm probably missing some other notions of time travel. I'm, I got to imagine there's some episode where, like, Finn and Jake go through a portal or somebody goes through a portal and sees, like, Ice King or Simon before he's Ice King and sees Betty. I think that happens, maybe. Oh, yeah, that does happen. Okay, okay. There's, yeah, there's some kind of magical looking into the past yeah so so we'll have to we'll have to get to that i mean i'll be excited to get to that of course you know whenever we do that i don't know in what 10 years we'll get to season seven or something like that if we don't speed up our adventure time uh, process but um you know we'll be able to say oh here's our adventure time we can relate it back to primer and clock stoppers and all this stuff speaking of time travel we have to talk about well where's zach what's not what's he doing here has he uh gone through the turnstiles one too many times and kind of yeah I have to say that this week, Zach's not here because, thankfully, he's uh, he's doing me a little favor. So he's at the restaurant, of course, or using something in the restaurant. But he's doing something uh, that uh, I've wanted to do for quite some time, that we finally pulled the trigger on. And uh, he knew that, you know, I needed to talk about Primer. So that's why I'm here and he's off uh, on this time-traveling adventure. He is using some time-travel device. I think we should keep under wraps what we have at the restaurant. Uh, but to go back and get me, so I can keep it as a pet, the Miracle Buffalo. Ben, are you familiar at all with the Miracle Buffalo? <laughs> uh, only that it's going to cause problems if we remove it from where it's supposed to be. Ah, yes, it will. And I'm, I'm okay with that because I love the Miracle Buffalo so much. Uh, it'll cause probably more problems than you think because the Miracle Buffalo, uh, Zach and I, we bring this up every now and then, but we also talked about it many, many years ago, I think in our first few months of on the podcast uh, in an unsolved mysteries segment um just to catch everybody up to speed the miracle buffalo was a buffalo uh that was born in 1994 in wisconsin on a on a farm uh but it is a completely white non-albino buffalo and 
these are very rare, apparently. I had to, you know, I've learned all this in my, my research into the Miracle Buffalo, because before that, I don't know jack shit about buffaloes. Um, but apparently, a white buffalo that is not albino is incredibly rare. Um, gotta point out, just to remind everybody, the birthday of this Miracle Buffalo is August 20th. So very close to Ben Affleck's birthday. Um, <laughs> but the thing... That uh, w- the thing that's really important will probably fuck up the timeline when Zach comes back, if he comes back successfully with the Miracle Buffalo, is that it is a very important sign of a uh, American Indian prophecy. So the story goes that when this farm or when this buffalo was born on this farm, um, you know, once news got out that this white buffalo had been born, non-albino white buffalo, uh, American Indians kind of flocked to this site and they saw it as the the start of a prophecy. And and back in, you know, whenever we talked about it, I ran through all of the information about this prophecy because I found it so fundamentally interesting. And uh, I think if we kind of pluck it out of the timeline, um, we might be causing some issues with that prophecy. But we'll see how that goes. Maybe when Zach comes back, we'll check in with that, uh, see if he was successful. But just so you know, Ben, uh, from all things, uh, that I've understood. This seems to be absolutely true. Uh, this miracle buffalo, of course, as it's called, uh, also changed colors. <laughs> and apparently that is part of the prophecy, that sometimes it would be white, sometimes it would be brown. Or it's fur, of course, I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes, you know, its shade would change, and apparently that is entirely true. Uh, also, fun facts, Ted Turner, you know, the media mogul, he tried to buy it. I think he tried to trade like 500 regular buffalo for it or something like that. Uh, Ted Nugent, the rocker, tried to buy it. So what I'm saying is that there's a history of people wanting this miracle buffalo. I think that exchange rate. Uh, yes, one, it's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> one miracle buffalo for 500 buffalo? Like, I'd probably do it. <laughs> well, see, Ben Ben clearly does not have an affinity for the Miracle Buffalo like I do. It's a priceless Miracle Buffalo, um, but I am in that pantheon of people that want it. <laughs> Here's the thing with with a priceless Miracle Buffalo. Someday it dies, and I stop having any value whatsoever from it. Uh, underst- understood. I, so. I have to say that in reality, um, it is dead currently. Uh, it did have some children. Um, which were not white buffaloes, gave birth to regular buffaloes. Fucking regular buffaloes. I said that with a lot of disdain. Um, but uh, but I want the Miracle Buffalo. I love the Miracle Buffalo. And just, just to really clarify for you, Ben, the thing that interests me the most about the Miracle Buffalo is that it is so important in, you know, this, this American Indian prophecy. It became a tourist attraction, you know, in the mid-90s, uh, from 94 to uh, until it died, I believe, in the early 2000s or probably What if later. you happened to see it when it had, had like, normal hair color? Ah, uh, yes. Zach and I have talked about that. I also brought up back in the day, what if, you know, your family lives somewhere in Wisconsin, maybe you got to drive an hour and you go, oh, it'd be cool, we go up to that farm in, uh, you know, in Janesville, Wisconsin, to see the Miracle Buffalo, and, you know, you go there and it turns out that's a day that it's in heat and you see it getting humped. Like, is that fun for the whole family? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> um, but so, the... Yeah. The thing that I'm really interested in, Ben, and I think you'll understand this, my, why I have an affinity for the Miracle Buffalo, when an animal becomes a tourist attraction or this symbol of a prophecy, this, this religious symbol, and people just flock from everywhere to see it, you know, these, these famous people want to buy it or they want to own it, or, you know, I want to go back in time and snag it out of, the, uh, out of uh, you know, recorded history and things like that, 
the animal's never going to understand this. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just going to continue to be an animal. And I find that fascinating for some reason that, you know, bet you can watch the videos of, you know, um, all these American Indian tribes like going to this farm and, you know, having prayer circles and, you know, other things. I don't know the correct terminology for, you know, worshiping this animal. And it's just there being an animal. And I, I just find that so fascinating <laughs> that humans can project something that crazy onto the Miracle Buffalo. <laughs> right on. Um, so uh, that's what Zach's doing. We will uh, see how that goes. If the Miracle Buffalo does come into 2022, um, we will probably have it as a guest on an episode. Uh, maybe we will, um, you know, uh, do a special episode where we interview it or something like that. And uh, if that is the case, uh, I then think it'll be fun to say that of the guests, you know, the actual special guests, not just our friends and stuff that we've had on. Um, well, you know, of course, LaShawn and, and them, they're, they're very special guests, everyone we've had on like that. But they, you know, we kind of knew them. Uh, but when we had um, uh, Ryan back in the Titanic days, when we had uh, Jimmy Custis for Body Swap, I like to think, you know, they would be happy to know that we've also had a buffalo on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So that's where Zach is, and I guess with that out of the way, with all that set up, if there's nothing else, we can get to Primer. And that was a good Primer. Yes, thank you, Ben. That was a good Primer. Um, I also want to make the joke that uh, before we started recording this episode, uh, Ben said that uh, him and his wife were planning on doing uh, some some painting in their house. Um, was this movie <laughs> right, helpful gonna... uh, that you now know that you have to apply Primer before you uh, you know paint the walls? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely didn't know that. So. <laughs> And that's what this movie is about at the end of the day, right? It's about yeah. the art of yes, painting. It's a, it's a wall painting, you know, good old blue collar movie yes. about painting walls. Oh, that actually, that's actually another connection to our Assassin's Creed episode. Remember that? I don't have his name written down in front of me. Remember that, stu- that um, stupid critic that we made fun of who used like seven big words to say watching paint dry and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this movie is like, we're, we're literally watching paint dry. It's about the art of that. No, it is not. If anything, this movie is about time travel. Actually, more, I would say it's about the moral quandary of having... stock market. <laughs> Uh, the stock market, the moral quandary of having the ability to time travel. I think there's a lot going on in this, you know, 75-minute movie. But right at the start, I have to ask, uh, I'm assuming, Ben, this was a um, a first watch for you. I, I think this movie is well-known, but it is a very cult-type movie, um, which I want to get into a little bit. It's, it's production and stuff like that. Um, but after watching it, after, um, you know, seeing a, a more adult version of time travel than Clockstoppers, what would you think? What's your overall thoughts? Uh, well, first off, Clockstoppers was pretty adult. <laughs> um, there was a lot of murder in that movie. Francesca, right. yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, that too. I was thinking about the sexual aspects, but yes, the murder with the explosion at the end, absolutely. It, it was a first watch, and uh, it subsequently it was also a second watch, and uh, I I really enjoyed it. I looked up some stuff just to to make sure that I understood because I didn't have time to watch it like six times sure. before we talked about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was definitely a first watch, and I and I really enjoyed it actually. Okay. Right on. And uh, especially after looking stuff up, I think I enjoyed it even more. Yes, and and I'm glad you say that, that, you know, this is um something that either requires multiple viewings or requires some, some amount of research. I think I said in an earlier episode that uh, this is one of those movies that has, like, diagrams on Wikipedia to try and explain it, um, you know, like, yeah, like Memento they're... did, which Memento is a little different because it's the structure of the film. This, I think, is, is inherently dense, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. Uh, the the diagram was neat, and it definitely gave me some ideas about how to like use this time travel to create multiple like infinite clones of yourself. Yes, yes. Prestige style, I guess. 
so so I'm I'm glad that you liked it. I kind of had a sense that you would like it, um, because it is you know this movie doesn't pull any punches with its with its um you know scientific dialogue, scientific jargon, the speed at which they talk about things, the uh, the nonlinear idea of how certain things get talked about and and stuff like that. Um, you right. Know, and then even they joke about it. I know Ben mentioned it before we recorded. One of my favorite lines in this movie is when. Uh, what uh, Aaron says something like, "I haven't eaten since later this afternoon." <laughs> Such <laughs> yeah, a good, good line, shit. and it's it's dropped so quickly, like it's almost like a blink and you'll miss it type of line, you know. <laughs> Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Well, and there's even like when they're first talking about time travel, uh, I think Aaron says something like, "What did you do with you know with the other six hours?" Mm-hmm. And he told me he goes to a hotel. He's like, "I wonder what what I did." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah, they, that's it's it's one of those things that I've seen this movie a, a good bit of times. I hadn't actually seen it in a few years. I, I mean, I love it a lot, uh, but I haven't rewatched it in a in a good bit of time. So it was fun to rewatch, and um, you know. I, I definitely want to get in, you know, how my thoughts on this movie have changed over the years and how I went from loving it for the, the very technical aspect of it and the time travel aspect of it, and now I love it kind of more as an experience. I, I definitely do want to get into that. But before that, I did want to ask you kind of, you know, um, maybe to preface this with a quote. It's a very famous quote, which I don't actually have it credited because I'm I'm dumb and bad at my job that I have to do here. I didn't write down who said this, but very famously, one of the things that came out, you know, in 2004 after Primer was released um, and became, started to gain this cult following, someone said that um, if you watch Primer for the first time and you say you understand it, you are either a savant or a liar. (laughs) And that kind of became the logline for the movie and how dense it was and how, you know, inherently confusing it was. I I don't really remember how I felt about it the first time I watched it. It might have been... I saw it in undergrad the first time, probably, you know, 2011 or something like that. I I probably saw it more as like akin to a Finnegan's Wake and, you know, seeing it as just kind of a jumble of stuff that I need time to parse through. I don't really remember if I understood it and really what that means. Um, I've had a lot of time to think about it. But I just wanted to give that quote to you, Ben. Would you agree with it? Would you disagree with it now that you've seen the movie? Do you think that's like a fair assessment? That might be a little heavy-handed. I mean, sure. I... I mostly understood the movie the first time through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, the things that I went in and looked up definitely did fill in some some holes. So, yeah, I, I guess you could say that, that you're – like you probably don't fully understand it even if you think you do. But I think that you could think that you fully understand it. Yeah. And, yeah, so. That's a good point. I definitely think there's enough in the movie, especially rewatching it for this recording. I definitely think there's enough in the movie to latch on to. I mean, the whole kind of first act, you know, before they. Uh, when they are in the process of figuring out what they've invented, when, you know, I think everything before they get to the storage unit with the actual box for them being, you know, instantiated i think you might get like lost in how overlapping the dialogue is like the way all the researchers talk to each other especially our two main characters you know it is very kind of natural in the sense that like they'll talk over each other one of them will start saying something the other one will like cut them off with a totally different thing and it does come across as a little you know disorienting but I think there's enough there visually and the big swaths of information that are presented that you can go, okay, they're inventing something in their garage, you know, and they're trying right. to they're trying to do something that, you know, reduces weight or anti-gravity, you know, whatever you want to call it, and they stumble on time travel. I think there's enough there 
that you know you can you can gather that information. I don't think this is something like ah, I'm trying to think of another example, like something total, like maybe a David Lynch movie. I don't think this is in the case where you're just like I don't know what I'm seeing. It's all colors and lights and sound and stuff like that. Like right. I think there's enough to latch on to, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely would say that it it did it did take me a second to figure out what their you know weight reduction thing was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i thought they were just doing some like electromagnetic shit that made paper fly at first <laughs> and i was like i don't i don't think that this qualifies as an invention um but but no then so like you know it, that took a bit but then they they do the bit with the scale and it's clear they're looking for a reduced number mm-hmm. they keep calling that thing a weeble whatever that is yeah, the the tiny little um, doll that you know just rolls around type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but that, it was just like an egg. It's not definitely. like an actual toy weeble. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was strange, but um, but no, totally. I mean, yeah, you can definitely you can definitely pick up like what they're doing and and what their goal is. Yeah. And then even the even the bit with with the like the, where Ro- Abe Abe is trying to explain. Or rather, show Aaron that it's time travel, mm-hmm. so that Aaron can like understand that it's time travel and not. I, I don't know. I, he just wants him to come to the conclusion on his own. Yes, like that whole bit. Like it was a a little bit confusing when he whenever he starts saying like, "Oh, you're talking about building a bigger one." I like I I didn't quite understand at first, but then like definitely on the rewatch, whenever he was just like, you know, the the weeble like the the line I missed. I think the first time is he says like the weeble's stupid. It can't get out. <laughs> yeah, uh, like you, you put it in at B, it gets out at B. But if it was smart, it could get out at A. Yeah, and and then he's like, "You're talking about building a bigger one." It's like, ah, oh, you you want to send a person through this? <laughs> like that's yeah, or a dog. I'm glad you mentioned that whole scene when he's like, um, very, you know, very uh, trying to pull the information out of Aaron. You know, let him like let him get to the conclusion on his own. I love that whole scene. Like, even regardless of you know if if you're not following all the dialogue, because of course, I mean, this movie is only 75 minutes long, but I think you know paying attention to some of the giant chunks of dialogue is almost like a marathon at times because they just go hard. Sure. You know, to, yeah. in, in the way that they talk to each other, you can tell they understand each other. But it's like it's like you know watching um. Sometimes I feel like it's watching like young twins speak when twins create their own language and they know sure. the nuances of each other. There's sometimes where I'm like, you know, hold on. I'm like, hold on. You know, this is almost like a listening comprehension exercise to understand how they're speaking to each other. Right. But that whole scene is fantastic. So like dialogue aside, just the way that it's shot and like the close ups and like kind of the, the slow build of the music when it's like, you know. Even if you don't know that it's going to be time travel yet because maybe you're not as tuned into this movie you're paying attention or, you know, not it's not clicking with you yet. You're still like, oh, God, something's going on, you know? Like there's a tension right. naturally to it. Yes. Yeah, there's there's a natural, like, tension and excitement of it. Of it. And it, it works really well. I, I personally enjoy it quite a bit. And like you said, you know, it's I, – I think the thing that threw me off at first is how grainy it is. But, like, once – once I was able to get past that, it was just like this movie is very solid, and and the language they use, like you mentioned, that you know it, it can be terse and like difficult to understand. And as far as I understand, the guy who wrote this movie is actually an engineer. Yes, yes. So and I'm, he, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he intentionally did not dumb down the language, so that's kind of intentional. And and I I kind of like that aspect. It's like. I don't need to understand the science to understand the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody does while understanding the science is, is kind of neat. Um, 
it's also time travel, so it's not real science. Exactly. And as much as they try and jam in some real science, like I do love that line where what Abe says something like, you know, uh, in a in a uh, Feynman diagram, what's the one thing you can? What's the you one can, variable you can turn negative and still get sensical results or something like that? Right. It's like it's not mass. It's not. Uh, I don't know. Coolant. <laughs> no, that wasn't one of them. Yeah, I, uh, whatever. It but is. we know. We know it's um. Radiation. It's you know, no, it's radiation. Oh. You turn that back, and that's what ten it is. You know, Christopher Nolan proved that to us. <laughs> that, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, oh, sorry, not radi- radiation. Entropy. That, that's that's what it was. Yes, you, you, it they made entropy. entropy negative or some stupid fuck. God, Christopher Nolan, stop trying to explain time travel or take a page out of Primer next time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, just make it so terse that you can't. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm I'm glad you brought up the uh, the notion of you know the guy who wrote it because you're absolutely right. Um, he's uh, you know uh, Shane Carruth. I, I believe it's Carruth. It could be Carruth. I'm going to keep K- saying Carruth. Carruth. It could be that. I didn't look up any interviews with him where anybody says his name. Um, you know, but I'm going to go with Carruth for now. Um, this movie is directed by, written by, produced by, edited by, <laughs> scored by, and shot by. And stars Shane Carruth. <laughs> yeah, from what I understand, he uh, he said he couldn't find someone else to to play the main character, so he ended up doing it. Yes, uh, apparently that he he couldn't find anybody. Uh, not uh, for him, the main for Aaron as he plays in this movie, but also for a lot of the other uh, roles. You know, whether it be Abe, who's a big part of it, whether it be you know the wife, the girlfriend, or, or any of the other minor characters, the researchers, um, the uh, Thomas Granger, the girlfriend's father that they're trying to impress. That they they're all. Pretty much just like friends and family, you know. Oh, okay. He just he just wanted, um, I think, it to feel as natural as possible, and which is to a benefit of the movie. But also in that vein, uh, this movie cost a whopping seven thousand dollars. Dollars. That's also the figure I came across. <laughs> yes, and um, I figured we most talk, we have of, to talk about that. Oh, oh my god, absolutely! And I'm glad you brought up the the graininess of this movie because of that seven thousand dollars. Um, you know, it's it's really not shot in a lot of locations. What you know, it's the garage, it's the storage unit, it's a house, which is probably one of their houses. Uh, there's a street, right. there's an office building, there's a library, which you know, some of the shots look like they stole shots, like they weren't supposed to film there, and they just needed it real oh, quick. Yeah, like in the airport. The airport one, definitely. That's a good example. So with the $7,000, you know, they didn't have to spend a lot on all that stuff. Most of that $7,000, I couldn't find an exact breakdown. But from what I found, most of it went to 16 millimeter film stock. And uh, in 2004, 16 millimeter, you know, uh, was not the most common. I mean, probably 35 millimeter if people were still filming on actual film and not digital then they would use 35 but when you film on 16 millimeter you know a much much smaller type of film you have to blow it up to a screen that's what makes it look grainy and i'm with you i'm with you that this movie looks grainy like even you know the i've had a copy on my hard drive since i watched it back in my undergrad and it's always been grainy and you know i i didn't even look into oh where could i stream this or anything but you know i'm 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 assuming you rented this or, or bought it or something and it still looked grainy like you didn't get like an hd like crisp clean quality as you know yeah I, I watched it i streamed it from amazon prime okay. and it was it was very grainy still yes and I, I think that's just inherent to the movie with how it is i don't i mean um with this cult following i don't think we're going to get an upscale you know a, a, a higher quality thing or a cleanup of it but here's the thing over the years i've come to think i don't want this to look cleaner i like the graininess because it makes it feel like more of a documentary and sure yeah and i really like that this movie is you know uh, something you know maybe this is our, our branching off point to talk more about what i really love about this movie that this movie is like two 
you know, researchers or engineers, you know, two guys trying to start a business or grow their business, they stumble upon time travel. I love that aspect of the movie that they accidentally find time travel. It's not like they're like, we're going to do time travel, goddammit, you know? Right. And, and then they kind of have to deal with the moral quandary of, well, what do we do with it? And they're very human in the sense that they go, okay, going to use it to make money. And then they have that scene where he's like, man, I wish I could punch my boss in the face, and then I wish I had a way to undo it, you know? And so mm-hmm. that, that human condition kind of bleeds in. And the graininess of it, and especially with most of it seemingly being, you know, very um, handheld. Like, of course, there's steady shots where I'm sure they had a tripod or something for the camera. Uh, a lot of it is very shaky and kind of unnerving. It gives it a very real-world feel. And I think that adds a lot to the emotion and the atmosphere of this movie. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree. And um, I, I, to add on to what you said about them stumbling on time travel, they don't even stumble on like full time travel. Yeah, they stumble yeah. on they stumble on um, kind of like what, what is it? The uh, that Amazon movie with with Star Lord and he goes in the future oh, tomorrow. War? Yeah, the tomorrow war. <clears throat> like they have in tomorrow war. They have like a time bridge where it's like that point. It's like these these two points in time are linked, and as one moves forward in time, so does the other. So you can only go like a fixed distance forward in time. Okay. Like they kind of have like that vibe where it's like they can only go a fixed amount in the past, and it and that amount is determined by when they turn on the machine. Yes, yes. I do have to say, you know, as as much of the um as we already mentioned, how this movie gets labeled as dense, confusing, and you know other other synonyms for those things. Uh, we've already mentioned we don't think it's incomprehensible. You know, uh, I do kind of think that they put the explanation where they need it. And I'm thinking of that scene where they talk about like, okay, point A is when we turn the machine on, point B is when we return the machine off, or, you know, point B, some future point in time. And they talk about how, you know, the kind of like whatever is inside the field that was within the box that's created, it kind of, you know, oscillates between point A and point B. And they talk about, you know, like you said, if they're smart, you can get out at point A. 1,347 minutes. Okay, yeah. 1347, man, you got that fast. How, why is it odd? How did you know it was odd? Okay, because this is it, okay? This is what's going on. There's an AN and there's a BN. Okay, let's say the AN is 12 o'clock, the BN is 12 one. All right, we start the machine with a weeble at the AN. It travels okay, forward normally. You gotta, you gotta write this down. Hey, Aaron, there's nothing to write down. Well, then I'm writing it. Okay, fine. Look, it, it travels forward normally towards the BN, and when it gets there, the feed runs down parabolically until it's just stopped, but it doesn't. It curves back around towards the AN. And when it gets back to the AN, now, now curve that around. Okay, now the Weeble has experienced a total of two minutes. And again, it curves, it curves back around, it curves parabolically. Right, so it comes back around again, and it does this about 1,300 times, and when it finally exits on the BN, it's traveling an odd number of forward and backward trips. Oh, what is so special about 1,300? And why is it about 1,300? Why is it exact? This is not empirical. Here, give me that. Okay, I don't know why it's not exact. There's some sort of probability there. Okay, every time it hits the BN, there's a chance, okay, a small chance it's going to curve back around towards the AN. And for some reason, it takes about 1,300 trips before it finally does. But it does have to exit, or else we wouldn't be able to see it afterwards. Okay, let's take a look at this. I think that right. is that is very much like, you know, one, it's it's for the audience, I think, ben, audience's benefit to make sure you know what this time travel is. I don't think they're intentionally trying to obfuscate what's going on when or why they're getting into the box. But it, it also is very, like, real world. Like, imagine, like, you and I, Ben, you know, we're, we have this crazy idea. If we stumbled on some really weird, you know, neat way to do a proof or something, it's like, well, we're going to try and explain it. To, so you can understand it, you know? It's like, I'm not going to be as confusing as possible and then go, okay, Ben, you get it? You know, it's like, well, no, I'm going to make it to somebody who's my colleague, like Abe and Aaron are. You're going to say, like, here's a little diagram. This is what I think's going on. You know, I want you to understand it. So it both is for the audience and very realistic still in in terms of the movie. 
I agree. It very much sounded like you and I doing a, a proof on the whiteboard or, sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the one thing I would say was not super clear to me. Well, and again, I think it's because I like the first time I watched through it, I missed that line where he said if it was if it was smart, it could get out at point A. Mm-hmm. Like there there was some stuff about like how it oscillates and how many times it oscillates and things like that that were like a little uh, I don't know not not like unapproachable or un- inaccessible but it just wasn't entirely clear to me sure. why when they get in they have to stay in for the whole six hours to get back to the the six hour period beforehand mm-hmm. since I mean I, I no I guess that no that's all that's all cleared up whenever they do the thing with the watch and they're like it's an odd number of minutes yes yes they when they're talking about how it uh, you know oscillates or the what you're like revolving through time you know in that field right. in the box yeah it's go, you're going through the turnstile. Yeah, basically. Um, basically. <laughs> and I, I actually really liked that he was just like focused on how it's an odd number of oscillations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the guy's like, why, you know, why is it odd? He's like, well, every time you get to point B, there's a chance you don't go back to point A. But most of the time you do. It's like, but the chance that you don't is the one time that somebody opened it and you came out, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like that, That's definitely the feel I got for it anyway. And I don't know if that's how you took it no no definitely and I, I think that that whole idea like i'm like we already said you know the natural tension and the enjoyability of that scene is 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 great you know from a filmmaking standpoint especially one that costs seven thousand dollars but just on the on the time travel level like every time i watch this movie even though like i said my my feelings on what it is i i actually think it's a little more of a an experiential thing which i want to talk about a little later on but like just in terms of the time travel and the the science you know air quotes in this movie it is fascinating it is such a unique take on time travel um i think in 2004 and still to this day you know where where it's like the way they discuss it the way they try and explain it to each other to the audience like we mentioned it is just it's enthralling it's just such a neat thought experiment it, it when i was re-watching it for this recording a few nights ago i was really like you know it made me think of when you brought up the whole portal thing in spider-man no way home and like portal physics it's just like oh yeah it's sure. just fun to think about <laughs> D- definitely no that that's a that's a good example of that that kind of way of talking about things i guess as uh, that is totally the way that i would have described you know you have you have end a and end b and you attach them together like yep i definitely and one in an engineer or a mathematician or you know anyone of of that ilk is going to use letters instead of <laughs> sure um instead of trying to give it like you know beginning and like we're just not going to take that much time to say that we're going to say a b you know whatever yep it's ab- just... absolutely absolutely you mentioned it earlier i just wanted to highlight um so shane caruth once again you said he you know you found that he is a, a software engineer um he started as a mathematician so that was his undergrad degree from okay what I found uh went into software engineering uh, apparently he developed a lot of flight simulation software um oh. uh, i don't know i don't know anything specific more specific about it but that's what i found um so he's a mathematician he's a software engineer and i want to get this out of the way because i'm sure if we don't someone will realize it he is also an alleged domestic abuser um, oh sweet <laughs> that was great i i don't need to do any editing there was no pause from ben he was just straight up, oh sweet you know <laughs> yeah um, i i love me some alleged domestic abuse um so i just wanted to get that out of the way of course you know we always like to say we're separating the art from the artist and stuff like that um but uh, i not only did i find this in my research i also found that uh currently as of the recording of this episode, and probably the release of this episode, which is um, 
I don't know what this episode's coming out a week ago because we'll probably record we're recording this in the box or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, he is currently out on bond for his most recent oh. uh, arrest for domestic abuse. So good for him. <laughs> Just wanted to get that out of the way. But more on the topic of him being the mathematician and the engineer. Something that I found that was fascinating about his ideas for this movie because it really, like I mentioned, it's all his vision. Um, he wanted this movie to be realistic. And the two quotes that I found that I think are most telling to that are, uh, one, he said, the discovery that turns out to be the most valuable is usually dismissed as a side effect. I really like that notion. I think, you know, and for some reason, my brain went to the, um, the Viagra notion. You, remember, you know the whole story? Like, Viagra was supposed to be, what, heart medication or blood pressure medication? Oh, yeah. Had the yep. side effect of giving people boners, and that's exactly what it is now, and it's so goddamn valuable. Um, so I like that notion that he, he really did have the... The um, at the core of this idea of this film was to make them stumble upon time travel, which I I yeah. fucking love that idea. You know, um, it's it's what I want because I say it all the time and I bring it up all the time to Ben, to Zach, to everybody. The stupid fucking Avengers Endgame scene where Tony Stark invents Tony Stark time, travel, invents time in a travel night yeah. in an evening because he sees fucking a picture of Tom Holland holding something upside down. He's like, oh, that means I'm gonna. That stupid fucking line is like, I'm going to, it's like, okay, supercomputer, that's a hologram and can invent time travel, has the ability to invent time travel, try a Mobius strip, but invert it. And it's like, oh, fuck yourself, movie, you know, (laughs) that whole thing. Um, So this is, this is great. But then the other thing Shane Carruth said about this, he said, quote, prototypes almost never include neon lights and chrome. And I was like, that's pretty cool that, you know, this thing they invent is just like a plain old box. (laughs) Yeah. And that. I mean, that's 100% true. Yeah, that's, exactly. Uh, I don't know I don't know how a software engineer would know that. but <laughs> Like, yeah, but I mean, like, in reality, like, who's going to fucking, you know, it's like, oh, man, look at this prototype. Let's go with the anti-gravity idea. It's like, oh, I want to create this anti-gravity field, you know. It's like, you're you're an idiot if you're like, we well, you're... We better put some underglow on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, man, it would look cool with a neon green flame on the side of it, you know, or some shit like that. <laughs> it's like, nobody fucking thinks that way. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so I really like that, that realistic aspect of it um for sure sure. and and i think that's once again gives this movie a very like you know documentary style feel a very realistic style to it um atmosphere and things like that and and it's it's wonderful i mean that i think that's why it's clicked with me so well over the years that it does come across as so uh so realistic and also just to harp on it again the idea that they stumble onto time travel The, the idea that even there's i think a um whether it's through the narration or one of the characters says it on character says it on screen, it's something like you know they stumbled onto something they don't and probably can't understand. And I love that in this movie, it's this it's time travel, of course. But I'm thinking of other movies where that happens, where somebody like you know stumbles onto something and you know they don't understand it, but they're going to use it for their own gain or use it to some end. Like usually in modern movies, I mean even back in probably the mid two thousands when this came out, like the thing, the something that you stumble on is like I don't know a portal to hell or aliens or something like that. Right. You know, like it's so out there sci fi, and it's um I mean probably. Not mid two thousands, but like the example is um, Hellraiser. You know when they um, stumble upon the uh, lament configuration or whatever the box is called, and you know they're just like, "Oh, look at this thing!" and it unleashes all the demons that you know um, they take take pleasure in hurting people. That oh, the whole Hellraiser thing. But I love the idea that this is like, "Oh, we stumbled on time travel," and then it gets into the idea of them being like, "Okay, we're going to play the stock market." Stock market. They talk about. What if we did the lottery and things like that? And it's yeah. just it's just so down to earth because that's the shit that like somebody would think of, you know? 
Sure. Um, the one thing, you know, if I was in their shoes, and, and this wouldn't have made for as interesting of a movie, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd know, I could say. Uh, but but I would have I would have gone back to that protein idea, and I would have found something that generated something valuable, and I just would have accelerated that process. Oh, That's okay. what I would like. Why why am I going to risk putting my whole body in this <laughs> thing with with argon leaks? Oh yes, I love that line. He's like, we use it to cover up the leaks. There's leaks. There's always leaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very very good. You know, for a for a seven thousand dollar movie for a first time filmmaker, you know, in Shane Carruth, um, that line is great from a scientific perspective. But also the notion of you know they have this idea of time travel, which is a very very cosmically powerful idea. And then they say he says there's leaks, there's always leaks. Like just like getting at the theme of it being like, well, you know, no matter how hard we try, someone's gonna fuck this up, you know? Like this is too much power for somebody to have. Sure. And and I, I love that notion. Um but so with the with the protein thing, you're talking about the scenes where they um where the fungus that grows on the uh, the weeble that has you know, should have taken like way too long to create yeah, but it five yeah, years yeah, definitely. Something. Yeah, I mean just find like I don't know, a clam or some shit and generate pearls. Oh, you know? that, yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, and that that's the other thing is just like this this notion of time travel, you know, it's like just all these ideas that you can do with it and stuff. Um, I am definitely with you that, you know, I would be hesitant to uh, take a nap in that box, you know, with the oxygen tank and all that stuff. And even yeah. there's even that line where they're like, oh, we do this correct amount of chemicals and you're just going to sleep for six hours or some shit like that. <laughs> Oh, I, I like he was just like, I didn't, I never thought that I was claustrophobic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's but good. <laughs> this machine. Ooh, oh, you know. yeah. A hundred percent. So, yeah, all that, all that stuff is, is great. And I think, you know, that's, that's what over the years I've been drawn more to this movie is, is not the idea that it's a time travel movie. Like I've been hinting at already. I, the last few times I've watched it, definitely the last few times I saw it, you know, however many years ago that was. And then for this recording, I definitely see it more as like a, a movie about the ethical implications of what you can do with time travel. Because it starts with, you know, the playing the stock market and getting money. It turns into them arguing about, it's like, you know, how do I explain to my wife that we did all this? And one of them is like, you know, I'll just say you had a good day on the stock market. And he's like, do you understand how many fucking questions come along with that statement? Like, I can't just say that to somebody, you know? Right. And, um, and then it turns into the whole thing of, you know, what's going on with um, when Thomas Granger shows up, like the... Um, the other version of Thomas Granger that's like following them, the one with the beard who like goes into the coma. And then they're talking about like, they're, they they have to answer the question of, it's not like, well, did you tell somebody else about the box? They have to talk about, would you ever want to tell somebody about the box? Because it hasn't right. happened yet. And right. then how would somebody find out? Exactly. About this? And then even the whole, the end of the movie, I think is fantastic. I mean, you know, everybody, I, we probably spoiled a bunch of it. I mean, this movie is also probably so dense. It's tough to spoil, but the ending of the movie of Abe being like, Jesus Christ, we need to do everything we can to like, stop this from happening. Like we need to contain and, and like not, give our, my, the clones of ourselves or the copies of ourselves this information like he really seems like he wants to never have done this and Aaron's like well I'm gonna go and build a warehouse size box so fuck you <laughs> yes yeah um, and that's that's something else that's an interesting like side effect of, of the way they travel in this movie is like at the end there's always going to be at least one extra copy of them yeah yeah and that, that's such oh well no idea. that's I guess that's not wait that's not true for the for the middle iterations, why is it? Why does it end up being true at the end that there's an extra copy? So now you're asking the real questions. I will say, as many times as I've seen this, 
I, I have never took the time to fully parse everything out. Um, I definitely think think there's things I don't I don't completely understand about this movie. You know, there's there's some concerns and things like that. So to answer your question directly, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Um, did you have any idea, maybe along those lines, about that? So the times you get extra copies of yourself, it's like you coexist whenever you go back. Like whenever you first get in the box and you go back, it's like the whole time that you're living for that six hours, you coexist. Yes. But then your the original his fate is to get in the box. So as long as you continue to, to proceed through time past that point, mm-hmm. there actually isn't a, a copy of you. Sure, sure. But one thing that, I, that I've considered is like, what if instead of letting the original get in the box, the double actually gets in the box? Sure. I, I think that's a concern or a wrinkle, maybe a better way to put it. I think another wrinkle that this movie definitely presents, which I think is fucking cool to the max is when it's revealed that Aaron has taken the failsafe box and brought it into another box. <laughs> yeah. And that starts to just fuck everything up. <laughs> well, as far as I can tell, like all he did was just make it so that he could set up a box for himself and Abe at the failsafe point so that they could still go back in time and try to try to stop the shooting or whatever, whatever sure. he thinks, Tom, whatever he thinks, caused Thomas Granger to go back in time. Yes, yes. Yeah, and to gain all the information, you know, we get the reveal at the end of the movie that Aaron has, like, you know, lived through this many, many times. He has the recordings of all the conversations, so he knows how things are going to play out and stuff like that. That That's kind of the stuff where, you know, I, I think when when I kind of transitioned, my love for this movie came from the, the mind-bender aspect that we're talking about right now, and I started to love it more as this kind of, you know, ethical quandary movie or this, this kind of experiential thing of just like, you know, how how do you deal with the fact that you can time travel and stuff of that nature? Oh, yeah. no, what, so what I said about, um, you know, the, the double going through the box, yeah. that is how they end up with copies because um, sure. they incapacitate sure. themselves. That like the 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 doubles go back and incapacitate the originals, ah, and then yes. they go through the box, and so th- those originals never get in the box, so they just continue in the normal time stream, and then the doubles exist and just continue through the normal time stream as well. That's so that's, that's how right. they end up yes. with multiple Yes, copies. that reminds me of that. Um, there's that there's a great scene with the um, what he's like uh he's he's putting a needle in through like the milk or something like that in the fridge and the, the, yeah. the narration says something like you know it's easy to easy to like you know drug somebody even in the era of tamper proof lids when you know exactly what's going to happen and stuff like that which is really cool well and that and that's actually why at the end there's actually three copies of Aaron and only two of Abe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and it's i think it's actually the copy of Aaron that didn't experience all of the stuff that happened who's who we see making the machine at the end sure okay, okay i'm with you i'm with you so like there's an early there's an early point where the double co- comes goes back in time to the guy who knocked out the first original mm-hmm. and he tries to incapacitate the second original and that second original decides that he doesn't have as much skin in the game and he just is like fuck it i'll just bail so I'm going to call him the guy that we see throughout the movie. Uh, I'm going to call him Aaron Six because I I think that's how many <laughs> okay uh, there had there had to be to get to there. But Aaron Two is the the one that just flies out of the country. Like he just takes off. Yep. Because he's like Aaron Six is more invested. So Aaron Two bails and Aaron Zero is like unconscious in the attic. 
Yes, yes. Yeah, and all that stuff, I, I mean, that's the stuff. I, I knew you were going to latch on to some of this, like thinking about all this all this stuff and, and really un, unraveling this movie. I think that's the best way to say it because in that kind of third act, when these things are happening, you know, when we have the reveal that, you know, Aaron has, has all this uh, predetermined knowledge of how things are going to play out when they're, when they're dealing with the other versions of them and, you know, incapacitating them and stuff like that, that's when it gets most Lynchian, I would say. And, and maybe not even fully Lynchian because it is still, you know, a very kind of documentary style thing. But it's it's less explained. The the movie itself is less, you know, uh, exposited by the movie than it is yes. earlier. And that's, that's when right. it really gets kind of like Lynchian. It makes me think of Lost Highway, which we saw together back in the day at uh, the the Athena Cinema. I don't know if you remember a lot of it, but that's the one where like at the end of like the in the middle of the movie, like one of the characters like turns into a different character, and it's just like what the fuck is going on? Oh yeah. That that's okay. also the one Ben that you called a Ramstein music video. <laughs> Ah, okay. Yep, I remember. Yes, yeah. If anybody does not know, uh, David Lynch uses uh, Du Hast in one of his movies. <laughs> but yeah, that that's I think where you know I love that whole back half of the of Primer of you know that third act when things get really kind of you know kind of bonkers and kind of um you know they they really start to get tangled and you have all these you have all these thoughts and can have all these thoughts about well. Who's the original? Who's the clone? How many copies are happening? Are copies going into the box when they shouldn't be? Who know? Are people taking other boxes into boxes when they shouldn't be? Like the movie right. starts to to not only you know give you the breadcrumbs that I think I think it is possible to unravel completely, but I also think it allows your brain and imagination to flourish with just like oh man the rules are almost out the window at this point. Um, yeah, I mean. To some degree, yes, the, the the basic rules of how you expect things to happen yeah, yeah. are out the window. But the rules of their time travel are consistent throughout. Absolutely, and, and that is fantastic. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, that, that's another, I think, you know, um, detriment to a lot of time travel movies. Maybe to use Endgame again. I think Endgame plays with time travel all willy-nilly. You know, they just say, it's like, okay, let's just keep jumping back because, you know, it's like that thing where they go back in time to get um, the Infinity Stones or whatever the fuck they're doing in Endgame. And then there's that scene where, like, Tony Stark and Captain America are like, you know, well, we should probably go back even further in the past to get the get one of the stones. And the movie's like, well, can we do that? Why would we do that? And it's like, because we can have cameos from other actors then, you know? <laughs> right. They're just, they're just jamming it in there because – and don't get me wrong, like, Endgame – it's a stupid movie, but it's a fun movie, I think. But, you know, it it's more refreshing, I think, to me and to us, you know, that this movie stays so consistent. Like, it establishes the rules and then flourishes within that rule set. And that's yeah. more difficult to do, I think, from a storytelling perspective than just playing fast and loose like an endgame, maybe even like a Back to the Future um, Part 2 or something where there's a lot of time travel. It, it's more fun to me when you have that established rule set and you can just, like, just seeing how crazy your brain can go with it. Sure. Well, and with, without rules, there's no limitation. Exactly. And without limitation, there's no story. So th- actually following the rules, like, okay, so I, I, what I mean here is, like, in, in games, like, they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Well, why even have the movie? Like, they, they can just do whatever they want. Why don't they just go back and stop this from ever needing to happen in the first place? Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> whereas here, it's like they have a very limited, uh, I guess, realm of, of efficacy. Yes. Where they can actually act. And that's that's I don't know they do a good job with it, but because they have such a limited space, watching them play in that space makes so much more sense and is so much more interesting. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I I think you know that's um 
to to you know connect it to the thing where I'm talking about like it's the ethical dilemma it's the um the human condition bleeds through it's that whole thing of you know it's um we establish the rules of this of the time travel of the box of the the technology in this film and then it's like well where does that flourish come from where does that you know playing within that rule set come from it comes you know with the um the unlimited ideas the human brain can have and I right. like that it starts so basic of playing the stock market you know and then it turns into all this other stuff of you know like stopping that guy from bringing the shotgun to the party or, you know, um, punching the boss in the face or something like that, that it really becomes, and I think that's what Aaron embodies, the one who goes off to build the warehouse size box in the end. He embodies the idea of just like unfettered human imagination where he's just like, sure. I can do it. There's even that great line where he says something. He's like, we should move to somewhere where we like, don't speak the language so we can fuck with people, you know, unabated or something like that. <laughs> I, I remember the line. I don't remember why he said it, but I maybe. I think he's really um, just getting at the idea. He's like, let's go off the grid, you know? He's like, because here yeah. we're like in our lives. We have families. And, and Aaron's really the one who's like, screw all that. Like, we have time travel. We can do anything, you know? And and Abe is like, this is problematic. Like, we're playing with something we shouldn't be playing with. And that, I, I love that idea that it's really – this whole movie's a two-hander. It's Abe and Aaron the whole time. They're really the only two true characters. And, right. you know, one, it's the duality of man thing. It's like one is really like, oh, my God, we need to be careful with this. And the other is like, fuck it. If we got it, we got it, you know? <laughs> right. Smoke them if you got them. Yes. And on that, on that point, I found a, a quote from um, an author – uh, I don't know too much about him. Chuck Klosterman, he's like an, an, an author and an essayist. He writes for, um, you know, a columnist, that type of thing. He wrote a, an essay. I couldn't, f- I didn't dive in to find the whole essay, but it was about time travel in film. And of course, he brings up Primer because this is, you know, if you know about this movie and you think of a time travel movie, this one always pops into your head. Um, and he said that, uh, he he brought up the films, what he thought the film's lessons about time travel were. And he said, quote, time, tra- well, time travel, quote, it's too important to use only for money, but too dangerous to use for anything else. And I really <laughs> liked that idea. And that move, and I'm like, I totally get it. It's like, well, when they're playing the stock market, you know, it comes through an Aaron in a lot of the ways where he's like, this is stupid. It's like, why are we just doing this to get money? You know, it's like money is almost inconsequential when we have something this powerful. Right. And we, then Abe like, is the one gods, who says, exactly. Time. And then Abe is the one who says, well, it's like, this is too dangerous to do anything else with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's, he's totally right. It's like, as soon as they do anything else with it, shit goes crazy. Yes, absolutely. And there ends up being a fucking permanent clone. Uh, which is such a weird consequence of time travel, um, and, and you know, in this particular, and like, one thing I, I guess I do like is they also don't really establish causality too much, so we don't know what would happen if they go back in time and kill the the version of them that would get in the box. Sure, like we don't know if he'll die or not. Yeah, um, that's a good point. This is like they exist in that moment, and their existence in that moment, like we have no idea if it's tied to their existence in the previous moment. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's so and that's I think that's a not not just a for this well it falls this movie falls in the category, but I think for a lot of the movies that I really really love uh, that are in the science fiction realm, like when you finish the movie, you just have all these thoughts about like well what else can you do with this you know like like if I I mean I very jokingly like to think I've always thought like if, if they ever made a primer two prime harder or you know a primer two paint. <laughs> two, <you> two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
great. Two prime, two er, you know, all those, all yeah. those jokes. Primer two time travel boogaloo. Um, <laughs> the 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 I, I always jokingly say it's like, well, the two things I'd want in the primer is one, they should go on Shark Tank and try and pitch the box. I would love to see a Shark Tank pitch for for the box, and then they also should pitch uh, it as an incubator for fungus growth. Yeah, so I'm there, you, there you go. Like, they could grow like what truffles or something in there. Sure, and you could do that at the meeting like while you're on the carpet in front of all the sharks you could be like you know look at this egg and i'm gonna put it in here we're gonna talk for five minutes and then it's gonna have you know 500 years worth of fungus on it or something like that right um and someone would probably still one of the sharks would be like you know i don't see a market for this i'm out (laughs) (laughs) right um but i also jokingly say that they should build a world-sized box like we should cover the earth in a box you know um but in in all honesty like if they made if there was a sequel to this movie there's so many ways you could go i'm not saying you know pick up directly with you know what's going on with the warehouse size box you could even make it like a um like a jumanji thing you know at the end of jumanji they throw the game into the water and then like someone in france finds it on a beach or something it's like well what if somebody else stumbled onto time travel or what if somebody else you know stumbled onto one of these boxes or something like that um it's just so many places to go and i think when movies allow that openness children find his notes (laughs) sure (laughs) and then they find out that his dad committed self-aside it's not suicide he killed a different version of himself yeah. see even that's really interesting you know i mean make it make it a uh make it like a, a courtroom drama about the legality of killing a copy of yourself or something sure. that'd be cool um there's so many ways you can go and any movie that you know when it ends it feels satisfying but you can think of so many directions to take it that's just i think that's just wonderful i think that that's something not a lot of movies do uh, or movies maybe try and fail at and um it's just excellent when you get it and especially when you get one you know this is i know ben and i have been talking a lot about um the batman with robert pattinson and how that movie is way too goddamn long this movie's like 75 minutes what a what yeah. a refreshing thing to have a movie that's so dense so much fun so fascinating and it's only 75 minutes long <laughs> yes it's nice and tight that's for sure yeah tight is a great way to say it it's, it might be the tightest um <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 fan it's fantastic it's so fascinating and I mean, also on that on that topic of it being tight, it's not like you know if if anybody's listening to this in the Sodom audience and they haven't seen this movie, um, you know, and they you might want to check it out now. The way we're talking about it, it might seem like it is is very dense, and you're going to be watching like um like a scientific text or something. And you are for the most part, but it's also not without its fun moments. You know, mm-hmm. like it finds a way, and that this is I think you know another fantastic you know notion of shane caruth being this first time filmmaker doing this there's some moments where i'm laughing like i love the whole thing when they're building the box with before the time travel happens at the start they're like trying to get it um uh, produced in that factory and what aaron is like should we be wearing goggles what goggles should be we we be wearing goggles and the guy just smiles and nods and you can tell he <laughs> yeah. doesn't understand what he's being said you know and it's just mm-hmm. like I've, everybody's fucking lived that experience before where sure. someone you repeat yourself and someone just goes huh yeah you know like they do the pooty tang thing huh yeah and it's just like you didn't hear a goddamn word i said did you <laughs> right but that's hilarious sarate. um sarate. the whole thing with um i'm trying to i'm trying to remember exactly when it is but um 
uh, I lost it. It'll come back to me. There's there's funny moments, is what I'm saying, Ben, is that this movie is not just like, you know, I'm reading a dry textbook. It really is like you're reading a, a story, you know? It might be very scientific, yeah. but you are reading something that still is um, intrinsically, you know, a- attractive in terms of movie standards, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, we already talked about it, but the lines that stand out for me are when they refer to the future as the past. Yes. That's, that's the, sh- and it's, it's like so good. It, you know, it's like, I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. It's like, that's a nonsense statement normally. Yeah. But in this universe, it makes sense. And that's fun. Absolutely. Oh, the, the moment I was thinking of was when they talked to the scientist about the fungus and he's like, like they're ba- like the scientist is like so socially awkward. He's like talking to Abe, but then Abe is like, no, tell Aaron. And he just repeats himself when they're all just standing in there, like the three right. just standing next to each so, other. It's like, it's, it's a protein buildup. No, tell him protein buildup. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's like those tiny moments where I'm just like, once again, very realistic, you know? It's like that, I, I feel like I could see that happening to anybody. <laughs> sure. It's it's so, it's so like, overwhelmingly fascinating. And and I'm glad you liked it, Ben. I kind of knew you were going to like it. I, I was trying to think to myself when I rewatched it, I was like, what would Ben like, like, is there any way Ben would hate this or anything like that? And, and I think, you know, I, I kind of convinced myself, which now I know, or maybe I knew, who knows, we're in the box, we're going through the box or something like that. Maybe this episode should episode should start like right in the middle and loop around or something. Like we get in the box <laughs> at the end of it. Um, uh, the the audience, the cinema audience will know if that happened. But it really is. It's just so realistic. Maybe to compare it to Clock Stoppers, where we're just like, you know, why are they doing these things? Like, why do things they touch lose momentum? Because it looks cool, you know. That was right. kind of our our conclusion at the end of that episode, where we're like, oh, they're doing it with time travel because they had the idea and they thought it'd be fun. And here, right. it seems like it almost was the other way around where they're like, we have the rules, we have the time trial travel. How do we make it fun in, sure. in fun in the sense of this movie? I, I don't think a lot of people would classify this movie as fun. Um, no, no, but you know, so as fun as possible. <laughs> um, something that like, I think has started to make sense for me as we've been having this conversation sure. uh, about the time travel aspect. So like there's, this, I, I mentioned earlier, there's this, this uh, mention of like cycles mm-hmm. and how many cycles the thing goes through. And from what it from what it appears, you know, he said there's there's a random chance that whenever you get to B, you don't loop back to A, and and I do think that's the moment you get pulled out. Uh, I think so. Sure. It's like you, you get to B, and however many times it took for that random chance to happen is the number of times you've cycled. Okay. Um, but then I I was thinking about it, I was like, how does it know what B is before B happens? And I don't think it does. I don't think it needs to. Mm-hmm. Like I, at first, I was like, it's spending the amount of time that it's in there cycling. That's not what's happening. No, no matter how long the the interval is, it would cycle still about thirteen hundred times. Okay. Okay. The the thing that's happening is that like it gets to be like it, it goes to B at normal speed, and then it goes back to A at normal speed, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to B at normal speed. And from its perspective, it's living out thousands of years or whatever. Sure. But I thought for I was like I said I, I thought that it was spending the time that it was in there just jumping back and forth and this, that's just not what's happening. Yeah, yeah, there de- there definitely is like um like we said uh what oscillating or revolving 
earlier and i yeah definitely and that that once again that little detail is so fascinating as well you know like like you said it's like um the more you watch this movie the more you discuss it like the more that slowly gets revealed to you it it really is like like we said it's not like reading a textbook but it it does come across as like learning something where you, yeah. you understand it more and more as you actually put the time and effort in and and you know i, I you know me ben i personally love movies like that where um you know um it, it's very different from this one but remember back last year when we talked about monkey bone where it's like i loved monkey bone when i was a kid cuz it's this goofy nonsense you know and it's all crazy and wonky and all the all the um henry selick fingerprints of, about it but then as i keep watching it and i keep putting effort into it i start to you know dissect its meanings dissect the whole you know sub 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 context of the church of the sub genius and things like that and any movie that lets you do that is fantastic and to compare it again maybe to endgame or clockstoppers since we've actually talked about clockstoppers now or will who knows um that it, it really is like different like clockstoppers we said it's like why would we ever watch this again you know it's like yeah we wouldn't like turn it off or anything but i don't think either of us zach included would be like oh man i really want to watch clockstoppers again to understand it better <laughs> no, no, <laughs> you know? there's nothing there's nothing that needs understanding from clockstoppers yeah and there's just a different caliber of film and story i guess story on a general level that that primer falls into that allows it to be something that you can learn more about and you know it's kind of the same reason i love the abstract ideas of david lynch or any abstract filmmaker, is that when I watch them, I go, okay, there's something going on. I might not know what's going on, but I want to know, and I want to dive into it deeper. And, and you know, maybe that's that's where, you know, some preferences differ, you know, because I know people who just love action movies, and, you know, it's like, they'll rewatch an action movie. It's not to understand it better, but it's just to be like... It's just for the action. Yeah, it's yeah. like, look at that cool shit. And I get that. You know, I have movies like that. Like, Mad Max Fury Road, I mean, I think that is a thematic movie, and there is something going on, but I don't rewatch that to better understand the moral lessons of that film. I rewatch it to, you know, for a 50-minute car chase. <laughs> right. So, oh. I've, I've lost myself. Um, is, this, that's going to just keep happening to us this episode. We are we are probably recording this inside the box. Who knows where we are in relation to point A and point B at this time? Oh, this time. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was just thinking, like, what if what if there wasn't a probability that you didn't go back? Like things would just go in the box and disappear. Mm. Or interesting. I mean, it's like it's because as soon as it's there, the moment it gets to be, it would start going back again. And at yes. that point, the person who's living in normal time. What they wouldn't be able to see it, or they would, or would they still be able to see it? No, but it's like moving backwards in time now, and then we have tenant. Like, is that interesting? That what what you just described also makes me think of um, some aspect of like a Schrodinger's cat idea of you know, right. like How how much does observation of what's inside the box play into into it in that case? Well, and, and that's the thing is, it seems that observation of it at B is the thing that pulls it out of B. Yeah, yeah. In, in some sense. You know, it, it's you could say that you just happen to pull it out at the time that it stops, or you could say when you pull it out is when it stops. But then they also have this kind of constant, like, around 1,300 times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's, it does seem to be probabilistic as opposed to just being based on observation. Sure, sure. And I, mean, I think that adds a layer to it of, you know, maybe – um, Shane Carruth was or was not thinking of when he, you know, put this movie together um, of just the, the uncertainty principle, you know? It's like, how much do these measurements, you know, whether there's a person inside the box, whether someone's viewing that person inside the box, you know, the the notion of the fate of somebody going back into the box, like, how much do these measurements really impact what's going on in, with that field? And once again, I think that goes back to what we were saying of, you know, it's like, this movie, this idea brings up all these other, you know, ancillary ideas or offshoots, and that's just fascinating. <laughs> 
Sure. Well, what if we also, put a Doctor like, Strange portal inside the box? What if we then put a pole between that portal and the box? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's also the aspect of they they make this assumption that the subjective time is this is you know matches how fast you're moving through regular time but yes. the direction is what changes yeah uh like what if that weren't the case like what if you went in there for six hours and he just got out at you know the time he went in it's like sure. oh shit maybe maybe i cycled like 14 times you know like maybe i'm however many days older because i thought i was it was one-to-one yeah absolutely absolutely the on on that point the movie does it seemingly make, makes it seem like their assumption of that one-to-oneness is true. Yes. Uh, which is which is fine. Maybe that was a... Dis- I'm, I'm imagining that when, you know, Shane Carruth wrote this and put it together, that he... I like to think that he had all these ideas of where it could go and, you know, had to self-edit to make it a reasonable film, that type of thing. But, I mean, you know, then also I think that if, if we did include something, maybe, you know, if the movie had went down the path of saying that assumption on that one-to-one nature was incorrect, it would have led to a whole slew of, you know, other issues with time travel. I do like the fact that possibly, this is rationalization, I have no idea, possibly Shane Carruth said, okay, that might make things get a little too complicated and I still need to tell, like, a narrative. But he does include the fact that their bodies physically start to just fall apart, like the bleeding from the ear. I love the little touch that their handwriting falls apart near the end oh, of it. Oh, dude, I, I heard somebody suggest that their handwriting falls apart because there's that one point where they put their hands over the machine, but... They don't so like their hands are just like oh, a yeah. fraction of a second further back in time than they are. That's pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was such a cool idea. So it's like they their hand just can't keep up with their brain because it's it's just not there. Yeah, yeah. I I think I well, there's a line of dialogue somewhere where they say something like, um, uh, I think Aaron says something like, you know, he's like Abe says, "Did I wake you up?" And he's like, "Well, I don't really sleep. I just take naps. Like my body's getting used to these thirty-six hour days and stuff." And you know, right? Just this idea that they're like, you know, putting this strain on themselves physically. You know, not just the idea of you know, oh, we're gonna jump into a box filled with argon, you know. But then it really they start to be like, well, you know, we have to do all this. That's really yeah, making yeah. our days longer, and it's crazy. Well, yeah, because they have to they have to hide out for six hours. And then sleep for six hours. Yep, yep. <laughs> so one thing, another thing, you know, it's about the subjective time. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that it wouldn't be experienced to the person in the box. Well, so, okay, in part, they're using a watch, so the watch is keeping time accurately yeah. anyway. Because, But, like, there's no reason to believe that the way you experience time, even if it was, like, quote-unquote moving faster, you would still experience it the same way. Sure. Uh, because all of the processes in your brain would be adjusted appropriately by the fact that time is is behaving differently. So, like, even if that assumption is weird, it's also the only thing that could happen. Sure, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Once again, I think you're, what you're saying, you know, gets back to what you said about the rules are established and we're and we're good with it. You know, there's no point where Abe or Aaron go into full on rainbow mode like in Clock Stoppers. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They don't. They don't fail to fall through the surfaces. Yes. Or whatever. Exactly. I was trying to remember what fucking huge problems we have with Clock Stoppers, and that was definitely one. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it's it's so fascinating, and you know, I think you know that that's one of the things. 
that is is great about this movie. Also, to, on the I mean, we're jumping around every all over in this discussion, which makes sense. It fits for this movie, right? That's, yeah, um, that's what they do in the movie. Exactly. So. But I mean, I'm thinking back to another really funny moment, and to get at the notion of human condition is that you know these guys, for as smart as they are, as they're you know software engineers or engineers, they're making at the start with the other two guys who kind of disappear from the movie. They're making like I don't know what capacitors or, or something or transistor plates or they're shipping out something right i don't remember what they say it is it like they're like circuit boards circuit boards sure sure so so i mean for, like, for all because they say something about like it's it's like wannabe hackers in their parents basements oh yeah that's right so that's it's like right. it's like raspberry pies or something yeah you know? yeah they're talking about getting um that that's what made me think of shark tank you know they're talking about getting vc attention and stuff like that and you know yeah. getting a big contract okay yeah that's right um but you know seemingly the movie you know, says to the audience that Aaron and Abe are smart people. You know, they're 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 scientists, they're researchers, engineers, whatever you want to call them. They're smart people. But then the movie makes it so abundantly clear that they are also very very stupid in the sense that they don't account for everything. They don't take the time to sit down and go. It's like, well, let's plan everything out because I love the scene right after he says, you know, are you hungry? Yeah, I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. When they go out, and Aaron's cell phone rings in his pocket, and they have the whole thing where he's like, well, if there's two versions of the same cell phone which one's going to ring? And he's like, well, right. it goes by cell tower, so if, if like it's going to go with the closest one, so if this one's ringing, the other one can't be ringing. And Abe says something like, are you sure that's how cell phones work? <laughs> yeah, and, and his response is no. Yeah, and I'm like, and that that is such a nice touch that in this movie, they're like, yeah, for for all these the intelligence that these guys have or think they have or the confidence maybe that they're exuding more at that point in the movie, they're still right. just kind of like, oh, shit, we didn't think of this. And I feel like you can tell in that moment, like anybody who's ever done like you know research or, or tried to attack a problem completely, you have that moment where you realize there's something you forgot and you're like, god damn it, I'm an idiot. <laughs> right. Oh, it's wonderful. And, and whether the the idiocy of it being, I forgot my cell phone in my pocket, or the idiocy, idiocy of it being like, Jesus Christ, I don't know how this works, and it's so fucking basic, I should. <laughs> sure. Um, and then actually watching that, I was like, I don't fucking know how that works either. Exactly. I had the same thought, and I was like, I, I wouldn't know how to answer that because I don't know what to do if there's different copies of cell phones. And the thing that blew me away, Ben, in that notion, when they bring that up in the movie, and I go, shit. I had the same thought that you did. I don't know how that works. I also can't believe that I've never looked it up because I know I've told you before explicitly that I love the, like, I want a horror story idea to be, like, one day you go into your apartment and you see an exact copy of your phone. Like, I think that would be scary as shit, you know? No time mm-hmm. travel involved or anything. But I think that would be an interesting idea, to, like a, a jumping off point for a, for a horror story. And I've been thinking sure. about that for years, and I've never had the fucking thought of, well, what would happen if you called that number? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think I feel like I've seen some some do it where it's like the clone of your phone. They can just they hear everything that that you can hear. You know, like the signals going to both phones or whatever. Sure. That doesn't explain how they can hear what you're saying. Exactly. Uh, in yes. those shows, but but anyway, like I, you know, it's it's definitely not clear. But that that moment is actually really important because it's like that's the moment where they learn that what is happening can be changed. Because it's like the same phone call he gets when he's in the hotel. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, oh, shit. Like, so if I'm <laughs> getting this phone call, then that means hotel Aaron's not getting this phone call. Maybe, um, you know, should I open it or should I answer it? Mm-hmm. And and you know what? Honestly, from, from what we see, I don't think he answers at that time. Yep. So as far as we know, he answered at the time he was in the hotel sure. and not when he was outside. And both times both rang. Yeah. Oh, God. It's such a it's such like a. 
thought interesting thought experiment mind bender oh it's wonderful <laughs> yeah totally oh it's so cool so i guess you know um on the topic of the the ethical quandary like i already mentioned um the uh the whole idea of you know how abe wants to he thought it was a bad idea that they've, at the end of the movie, the bad idea they've gone this far with things, with time travel. Aaron's the one who wants to use it more for personal gain. Um, of course, this is hypothetical because I, I don't know, Ben. I don't think we're any closer to inventing time travel than we were, you know, seven years ago. Um, or, you know, even, uh, what was it, nine years ago when we were living near each other and stuff like that. We might have gotten a little mm-hmm. close in our in our math studies, but who knows. Um, <laughs> I... Do you have any thought on which one do you lean towards more? Are you more of an Aaron or an Abe? Would you want to say, like, oh, God, we've gone too far. We shouldn't have caused this. Or would you be like the, um, you know, let's build it bigger, let's build it better, and, you know, humanity be damned almost? (laughs) Mm. I am inclined to think that I would find a way to use it as an incubator and that I would find a way to make money off of it that didn't require me to go through it. Okay, so you, you're kind of somewhere in the middle where um, you're saying, like, I, uh, you know your limit, you know it could be really dangerous, so you're going to limit yourself just for the personal gain without trying to, you know, rip a hole in the cosmos or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know, like, what if I get stuck in that loop and I go through the loop more times than I intend to. Mm, okay. And okay. I, I, let's say I do get out today, but I'm 40 years older. Like sure. that's, I'm not into that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Granted in, in this movie that could not happen because you would experience all 40 years inside the box, but I don't know that before I get in the box. So, you know, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I like to think I would feel the same way that you do, but I, I like to think I'm self-aware enough of my addictive personality that I would eventually destroy the world with a box like this. <laughs> like, not Maybe not purposefully or maliciously, but I would, I would probably be like, you know, one day be like, well, why not build a warehouse-sized box? Why not put a whole country in a box, you know? Like, why not push the limits of this thing as far as I can? <laughs> sure. You know, and uh, that's... That is, I think, how you would handle it, and I. That's <laughs> not how I would handle it. I just, I would be very wary. Um, I, I uh, think another interesting. You know, we we're talking about all the the open endedness that you can play with this idea. What about putting somebody else in the box, unaware that they like? Imagine putting a party inside the box that is unaware of what the box does. I would love to see how that could play out in a story. I think that'd be really interesting. Well, from from the movie, it seems that there's only two safe times to get out. They never they never talk about that's a good point. Yeah. Going back and like getting out halfway through. And even the one time Aaron gets out, he's like, you got out too early and it made you sick. Yeah. And he Uh, says, like, that was way more than a static shock or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if you put somebody in it, they might not know when to get out. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. And like, I don't know if they get out when it's like at the height of its fucking cycles or whatever. Maybe they just get obliterated. Mm, maybe that's when they go full rainbow mode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I I was going to say like full, you know, strawberry snow cone, but whatever. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I, I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, even then, I, I, maybe there's a way that um, me as the outside, you know, controller of the experiment, you know, you, you drug somebody, put them in the box, take them out of the box, something like that. Well, you'd have to like give them instructions how to get out and when, so that way... Like, you know, you put it in there with, like, a light-up board or whatever. Sure. So, like, you're, you're drugged to sleep for six hours. You know, when this when this clock or, like, when this alarm goes off, like, press this button and, you know, do <laughs> – or, 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 or I guess you could – you might as well just set it up to do it 
No, you can't set it up to do it immediately. No, uh, uh, yeah, you can. Sure, why not? Yeah, right. The first time it gets back to A, you could automate you can set it. it up yeah, to, yeah. I like to not? think you could automate it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just program it for twice the amount of time that you want to. Like, so I'm starting at a time A. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I I say in 12 hours, open automatically. But that means I would have to be there to turn it off at six hours. But, you know, I could do that probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you said you have a programming that goes inside and a programming that goes outside. So you're like in, in 12 hours, open. In six hours, shut down. Yeah, sure, sure. There you go. Fixed it. Figured it out. Yeah, and then now, oh, God, now my brain's racing with it's like, well, uh, you could make a whole movie. That's basically like Inception, where like someone is drugged and put into the box, and they get out, and then they kind of unravel the mystery, and then the twist at the end is it turns out they were in a bigger box the whole time, and the you know, <laughs> the top doesn't fall <laughs> over, and um, oh god, it, it could go everywhere, you know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the, so the thing with the a box in a box, they didn't get as complicated with that as I thought they were going to. Like he sure. just took the box back in time to set it up. Yes. I, I definitely was under the impression that they were going to have him in two boxes at once. Ooh. And I was like, what the fuck is that going to do? Like, how are we going to, you know, how is this going to happen? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That And once, like we were saying, you know, it could get so complicated. But I think, you know, the, the self-editing that I'm sure Shane Carruth had to do, you know, making sure he didn't let it go off the rails, um, keeping it so contained and keeping it so tight is just is. And then allowing us to think about it. Oh, it's fantastic. Right. I love it. But uh, but yeah, there's just so so much fun things you could do with this, and uh, all all the ways you could play with it. Oh, it's 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 so it's so interesting. <laughs> Agreed. Something else I wanted to point out is, um, like we mentioned before, this movie has a cult following. Um, I actually found out about it years before I ever watched it, or maybe years before I watched it. Who knows? Um, but no, in all seriousness, one of my high school teachers. Um, said something about it, you know, I think um, it was in my, probably my senior year, had to be my senior year, where, um, you know, I was really getting into some of the, the crazy media, like, you know, Zach and I were really into David Lynch, I loved me, James Joyce and Finnegan's Wake, like all this ergodic, esoteric, you know, storytelling, uh, literature, um, you know, movies, stories, things like that, and one mm-hmm. of my teachers said, it's like, oh, you should watch Primer, and back in the day, I really had no way to watch it, I think in, in 2009, 2010, it was when I went to my undergrad and was collecting files, I was like, okay, someone told me to watch it but this movie certainly had that cult following like you know people knew about it for how tiny it is um it did well i guess we should also say you know seven thousand dollars that's what it cost it did get a a small release uh, a limited release i should say in the united states because it won the grand jury prize at um the sundance film festival in 2004 and um it actually made 800 does that mean it was indicted uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. right. I'm sorry. How much did it make? $800,000. Oh, shit. In it's small release. So, um, it's, it seemed That's like. a hell of a return. Exactly. Yeah. And so it seemed definitely, you know, it didn't. And with, it only cost $7,000. I'd imagine a lot of that came right out of pocket from Shane Carruth. He didn't need to like get financiers or anything. So a lot of that was probably a, a good bit, of, a good chunk of that probably went to profit for him. So. That's well, I mean, depending on how he paid the actors. Exactly, paid the actors. Um, uh, how the distribution deal uh, shook out and stuff like that. Um, but still, I mean, you know, that's like um, the last time we talked about a, a major you know, switch from budget to return on that it was like searching. You know, searching is li- labeled as like eight hundred eighty thousand and made. You know, like. Um, whatever it was 400 that millions or whatever it was you know um yeah but i mean good for it i mean but this movie became well known and uh, i wanted to mention that um i not only is it well known in the time travel realm and you like i said before if you think of time travel movies if you just google time travel movies this one will always pop up you know um but it was actually put 
at uh, number 20 on a 20 best movies of the decade list. So this, oh, was, wow. this was from Donald Clark, who's, um, who's not, maybe not super well-known in America. He's a columnist for the Irish Times, uh, does movie, re- movie reviews for the Irish Times. Um, okay. And uh, he put it as number 20 out of 20 on his uh, best of the decade, so from 2000 to 2009. I think the article came out like end of 2009 or something. Um, okay. So he really loved it. Um, I, I like that because I agree with him. You know, This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I would definitely say top 25 for me. It's so absolutely fascinating. But I I had to look into when I read this in my research, I was like, well, okay, you know, maybe is Donald Clark like a a big guy into sci-fi and that's why he labeled listed it or something. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised that he's not just like a sci-fi nerd. So um, I I dug into his list. I read his article. Um, He doesn't give too much explanation on why he picked each one. I think it's a very brief kind of just like, oh, you know, here's my thoughts. Probably because he's reviewed them in the past. Like I probably could have dug up and found full reviews but i didn't but um so number 20 was primer number 19 was a history of violence which is a cronenberg movie i don't know if ben's ever seen it that's a really interesting movie it's also very famously i i believe i'm getting this story correct it's the last movie ever produced on vhs um so that that has it but that's number 19 that's a very you know um human non-science fiction movie so that stood out to me number 18 I'm not going to go through all of them, just the ones that I, 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 remember, I noticed. Number 18, though, you want to talk about something totally different from Primer. Team America World Police. <laughs> um, awesome. If, uh, one, we will cover that on the podcast one day. That movie is, I find it very funny. I mean, I love the, um, the, the satirical nature of it. You know, I also have to say I am, I'm a sucker for the very stupid joke in that movie. Matt Damon. I really like that. Um, but also sure. the behind the scenes, the, the work and effort that they put into that movie, uh, Parker and Stone, um, you know, to make it was out of this world. And that's also one of the reasons where they were like, we never want to make a movie movie again it was so difficult to make team america world police um okay but yeah number 18 on this dude's list um number 17 was a serious man that's a coen brothers movie one i still have not seen and i think now seeing it on this list i gotta put it higher on my list 14 is old boy the korean version not the spike lee version ben have you ever seen old boy like the korean like the guy's trapped in the room for a long time and then goes out and like does all the martial arts revenge stuff no okay you would love that. That's one we might have to do on Patreon because that's a really, really great martial arts action movie. Okay. Number 13, Wally. <laughs> Sweet. Which is a good movie. I mean, I haven't seen Wally. I've only seen it once, but I, I like that. Um, number 11 on his list was Lost in Translation, the, uh, the, the serious Bill Murray drama with Scarlett Johansson. I've seen that once. Right. I didn't really love it. Um, number 10, Brokeback Mountain which I have to give props to. Uh, Brokeback Mountain is a really good movie, I think. And uh, every time it comes up, I have to say, if anybody has never seen Brokeback Mountain, then they go, oh, isn't that the gay cowboy movie? It's, you go, yeah, it kind of is, but it's more about Ang Lee fighting with sheep. Ang Lee hates sheep, and you can see it in that movie. (laughs) Ang Lee's the director. Um, Number nine is Pan's Labyrinth. Great movie. Uh, Early Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Number four... Mulholland Drive, good old David Lynch. Oh, nice. Um, That's a fantastic movie. Number three, and personally, I think this is not high enough on the list, even though it's his number three, Spirited Away. Um, I actually think Spirited Away is on my number three of all time. Um, I think I have that at number three on mine. Uh, And then number one is There Will Be Blood, which is a good movie, um, a very long movie, uh, based on the book Oil by Upton Sinclair. But, yeah, those were some that I I, I looked at, and I kind of, after I, you know, dove into this article— I um I found that you know this is pretty neat that Primer permeated this guy's you know love of film or, or you know love of the decade in film, 
when really, I don't think there was anything else on the list that, you know, fell into the same category as Primer. I mean, there's some numbers I didn't mention because they're foreign films that I had not heard of. Like, I think Hunger is on there. I think there's a French film that I do not remember the title of. Um, But nothing really stood out like Primer did or falls into the same genre. And I think it's cool that, you know, it's a testament to, I think, you know, back in 2004, 2009 when this list was made, still to this day, um, I hope independent cinema like this really interesting stories still have a place. I think, I think we said it, Ben, you know, where it's like, you know, we, we hope that the movie system doesn't just become superhero movies and Star Wars movies. Like, there is a place for small cinema and people having visions and tiny little stories that are wildly fascinating, and I hope we never lose that. And um, i just like to see that Primer, you know, was doing that at the end of the decade uh, in, the, in the aughts, in the 2000s. So, yeah, I, I just thought that was cool to see. I, I have to agree. I mean... You know my stance on it. This this is a movie that is highly worth watching. Yes, and highly interesting. And it it would, I I just, I guess I feel a certain amount of apathy about the state of the world and people's ability to like consume content that is sure. actually meaningful. Sure. But I I don't I I don't mean to like. Be like, oh, we're so much better than these people because they don't. I, I mean that reality is so difficult that it is hard to make time to do something like this. Yes, yeah, hundred um, percent. Yep. So, like, I, I'm I'm by no means looking down on people or saying they're not capable. I think they are capable. I just think that today's world is built to not allow you the time to do this. Yeah. And that, um, I am lucky. I have a very cushy job. Not every, like Rob makes a lot of his own hours. Um, this is not something that everyone can say. Definitely, definitely. And we we are capable, just from our restrictions, to actually be able to sit down and watch and talk about these movies. Um, whereas maybe a lot of our audience is like this; they're squeezing this in on the drive to work or whatever. Yeah. So it's like there's a lot of restrictions that that stop people from being able to consume content that makes them think. And and makes it to the, the point where they don't even want to consume content that makes them think because the time that they do have to watch media is is rest time, mm. not engage time, if that makes sense. Exactly. So, so yes, I, I I do have I I do have the hope that that is not always the case, but I in in the way the world's moving forward at this moment, I I think it'll all it. I don't see a way that it won't be the case that there are just some people who are who are blocked off from this kind of content strictly based on time restrictions. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you used a word that really, you know, uh, clicked with me in there. You said apathetic. And um, it, it's been recent, uh, as as recent as, you know, when Zach and I started this podcast, um, as we come up on the four-year anniversary, that I would get angry. Not, you know, violent or anything, but I, I'm, I've had this conversation with you, Ben. I get angry when, you know, I'd, I'd see or hear people when they have time, you know, that rest time, like you said, um, and they're just going to be like, okay, I'm going to go back and watch an episode of The Office or episodes of The Office that I've seen a thousand times. And I'd always be like, it would bother me, and I'd get, you know, angry at the fact where it's like, no, you have the time. Like, experience something new. And we've talked about it also with music, where, you know, it's like, um, I, I love finding new music and a, a testament to my top 50 that I do every year where I even catalog all the music, that new music I find in a year. But then I have good friends and me. I'm not excluding myself from this. Well, they'll just be like, you know, well, why wouldn't I just listen to something I know I like? You know, it's the same thing with watching The Office. And once again, you know, me, I will say there's sometimes I just 
watch another episode of Law & Order that I've seen a thousand times before. <laughs> um, and I used to get angry about that, but I, I'm more apathetic towards it now for the exact reason that you said, is that there's only so many hours in the day. There's so many restrictions that we have in the way that we live our lives. We, you know, the royal we of humans live our lives now that – you can't, you know, always expect someone to jump on a recommendation or jump on something like that. Oh, God. I mean, it took it took years after it being recommended like four times for, for me to finally watch Memento. Yeah, Memento is sure. a movie worth watching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. like how many times have I have I been recommended movies that weren't worth watching? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you because I don't watch movies that are recommended to me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that and that is you know like you said we we are very lucky in the sense that we get to um you know uh, adjust our own hours or have some of this free time and I think that's um. That's kind of why I love doing this podcast so much. And even on the Patreon with the fan requests, even if it's a fan request that we watch and, you know, we don't particularly enjoy or maybe, you know, I don't enjoy. I'm thinking of the Eight Crazy Nights discussion. I still am like, man, there's something refreshing about the fact that I have or we have established a channel for us to watch new things and experience them and then actually get to talk about them, which is a hell of a lot of fun. Well, and there's also the added aspect that, like, it's not – like, it doesn't cost anything for most people to just come along and be like, hey, you should watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And and then you can be like, well, fuck, all right, I, you know, I'm never going to do that, but all right, thanks. Whereas our patrons, it's like, for, in, in some ways, we're like procuring the best of the best requests that they could have for us. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. Yeah, because they they know that we, they know our release schedule um, for the Patreon uh, first, fifteenth, and third, and last of every month. Everybody three episodes a month. Just so I don't think we said that earlier. Um, but you know, it, it's it's that idea that it's like we're saying it's like okay, you know, we they know our release schedule. They're paying for it. They're going to make sure they they want us to talk about this movie. They're going to put it there. You know, right. And and we are uh, very welcoming to that. And I think that, you know, there's no way in hell I ever would have watched Rockadoodle if we didn't have that as a request. Oh, God. We, yeah. we even talked about it. That's a movie we didn't like, but The Ice Harvest. Like, there's oh, no God, that way. movie was so good. Exactly. And there's no reason I ever would have sat down and been like, oh, man, I'm going to watch The Ice Harvest, a movie that I didn't even really knew existed. And I think yeah. I say in that episode, I thought it was a different movie when I sat down to watch it. Sure. And sure. Um, so that that's fantastic. And uh, And you, too. Uh, you out there in the audience can uh, pay to make us watch things, um, and we will watch. We will take all recommendations into account, with the exception of, as I always say, um, Beverly Hills Cop Three. Uh, looking at you, Zen Shift, <laughs> that keeps us awake at night. That you've recommended that. <laughs> but yeah, kind of back to the point of of you know who consumes what media. Sure, there's sure. also like, so so there's you know the fact that this is rest, but there's there's also. And I guess it's kind of along the same lines. Like there are times where it's like I do not want to consume something new. Ah, absolutely. I do not have the brain power at this moment to watch something new and retain any of it. Yes. I, you know, I like to get not like deeply involved with with shows I'm watching, but I like to have an understanding of the characters I'm looking at and stuff. Yeah. And it's like if I don't have the emotional or mental energy to to understand new people, I'm not watching a new show. A hundred percent. Because yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like it, um, regardless of whether or not it's good, and and that's like you know, so it's it's kind of come down to be like, okay, I, to give anything a fair shake, I have to watch it kind of relaxed. You know, I can't mm-hmm. be, I can't be tired. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's also um, it's it's one of the things that I've had to you know explain to 
uh, my friends, you know, whether it be through distance or, you know, the people not related to this podcast. It's like, you know, when, when they'll bring up movies or something or, you know, they'll they'll be like, oh, hey, Rob, have you seen this? You know, they know I talk about movies on a podcast. They'll be like, Rob, have you seen this? And I'll be like, oh, that's the movie from this director. And they're always like, how do you know who, who is involved with all these things? And I'm like, so I can determine what to watch and when to watch it. Like, there's so many fucking Coen Brothers movies I've never seen. Like, Miller's Crossing. I've never seen that movie. The Serious Man I mentioned as well. I know I need to see these. I know I'm going to love them. But when I'm done, like, working for the day and I've done all the other shit I want to get done, which is not consuming media, and it's like 1130 at night, and I am in no way, shape, or form to sit down and watch a two-hour Coen Brothers movie, which is going to have densely poetic dialogue, like, inherently, like, detailed characters and stuff like that. And at least I, and I like to think I, I look into these things and know about who made these movies so I can prepare myself for that. I think there's nothing worse than it's like, oh, somebody recommends a movie to you. I turn it on, say, you know, at midnight or something, and I'm just so tired, and I'm like, oh, man, this movie's so dense and so interesting, but I just don't give a fuck right now. And I'm not yeah. going to like it as much. That's going to inherently lower my rating where at a different time, if I was in the right mindset, I would probably love it. You know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, I'm reminded of that. Um, was it McConaughey? We watched a movie with him when you were here. Oh, Frailty. Uh, the, the re- Frailty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Fantastic I actually at one movie. point. Yeah. <laughs> I actually at one point was like, Rob, we have to pause this movie and I have to take a nap. Yes, that's right. Because yeah. I don't want to miss it, but I am not able to to take it all in right absolutely now. and could you imagine if we didn't take that break where oh my we, god i would have missed so much of the movie like and that movie was so worth watching yes and and, and no no spoil oh god we should do frailty on like the patreon or something we should revisit that <laughs> but it's like sure. i remember like could you imagine if we just powered through that movie we would have got to the end which has one of the most satisfying twist endings i've ever seen in a narrative like sure. we would have just been like oh my god okay it's over now let's let's yeah. let's like fall asleep you know <laughs> And it, we exactly. would not have done it justice. Right. And that that's even if I had been able to stay awake the, the whole duration. Exactly. Which and then Rob if, knows me. I <laughs> am not a person that stays awake. And then could you imagine, like, trying to – like, if you had fallen asleep and I had watched the whole movie and I would have been like, Ben, oh, my God, the twist is so good. And I tried to explain it to you. You would have probably been like, I don't even remember what point I fell asleep at. Like, which characters are you talking about? You right. know? It's, yeah. it's, it's part of that experience. And, and yeah, so – I think to, to bring it back to the start of this, it's like I'm, I'm very much more apathetic. I understand if people, you know, they have restrictions. They can only watch so many things. I just like to think that I hope when you're out there, you still open yourself up to new stuff. That's the only thing I really want people to try and do. Not that you have to watch a new movie every night or not that you have to, like, listen to a new album every day. But it's like I, I think there is – and maybe this is another thing to pick your brain on. I think there is some issue with, like, becoming in a rut where you're just watching, you know, like – Okay, I finished all 20 seasons of Law & Order. What am I going to watch next? I'm going to start from the beginning, you know? <laughs> uh, well, my my wife actually is, is she's like, she li- she has the artist she listens to, music-wise. Mm-hmm. And she listens to the same, like, 10 or 15 albums over and over again. Sure. And it is actually, her relationship with me is probably the reason that she is aware of it, all the new music she's aware of. Because I'm just like, well, we're going to listen to this song. Well, like, while I'm making breakfast because this song is, you know, whatever, like begging by Monoskin or, or I want to be your slave by Monoskin or Mm -hmm. what me worry by Portugal, the man, you know, like just, just like shit that I came across, like either at the bar or, or on the radio or whatever. And like, you know, maybe tap my foot or, or wiggle my butt or whatever, uh, music does to you. So like 
from her perspective, she has that feeling of like, why would I listen to, to anything else when I know that I like this music? Mm-hmm. Um, but then over time, she she has started to learn that there's, there's probably other music out there that's also worth liking. But when she's on her own, she still goes back to that same music that she's always listened to. Sure. Um, and so, like, I don't fault her for that, but I I all, am not wired that way. Uh, and I, I think I think that's what it comes down to is like I've started to realize that some people are wired that way and some are not. Some people want new experiences. Others don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's like so. So I, I've I've tried to stop judging people along the, that lines of, of uh, uh, you know, thought It's like some people are, are really comfortable in the things that they know and grew up with. And they're going to listen to the same, you know, old country music or old rock music mm-hmm. that they listen to as a teenager forever. And and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but that is not somebody who I would go to for opinions about music. Sure, sure, absolutely. And if, if that makes sense. No, no, definitely. And I'm actually glad you brought up the um the the relationship aspect. Of course, you with your wife. But I think in, to, to clarify what I was saying, of course, you know, I I think there is an issue if you just live in a rut. There, there's an issue I have, you know, subjectively. I guess you know I'm with you. I don't fault them for it. If you like that stuff, and it's just like, hey. If it gets me through the workday easier, if I'm just going to listen to the music I love and I know I love, more power to you, of course, you know? But, I mean, then maybe that's the thing. When you know some people, you, you branch out, you get some new experiences, however you take it in, as long as you're take it in, taking it in somewhere. I just don't like people spinning their wheels, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I definitely don't like people who, like, assume they don't like things that they've never that's, heard. That's probably... That's probably the best way to say what I'm getting at. Or you just, you know, hammered it home exactly. Or you got me to the point that I should be making. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. And it, it's, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not into into that, you know. But um, it's, uh, it just is what it is. Like that's yeah. that's where some people are at. And I, I mean, I'm sure there was a time in my life where I was like, no, I fucking hate all that screamo shit mm. that I've never heard. Um, but yeah, I hate it. You know, it's like, well, you know, that's a really naive and immature approach to the world. Sure. Um, yep. Yep. Even even at this point in my life, as much as it at some point in my life would have pained me to say, Justin Bieber has released some songs that are pretty dope. Fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, not uh... all of them. You know, <laughs> not, I'm not I'm not a believer or anything, but there's a couple songs he, that he's a part of them. Like, yeah, this is a good song. Yeah, that that's a great example. I also think back to um uh, before we really you and I, I mean, we really uh, started to do a lot more of the main feed on cinemodities. I think you know when we were still in that in the when we were still in the space when we could think about doing bonus episodes for Song Screed, you know, back then, what was right. that two years ago or something like that? Now, um, right. when we were doing that, I remember you saying you were like, "Well, we should do some Nickelback because it's like you're like it's not all bad," and that's a band I know for a fact. I have physically or you know in person seen people be like i will never listen to nickelback and it's just like what is wrong with you (laughs) yeah one and that's yeah nickelback is is a great example because there's honestly a lot of nickelback that is totally good and if you look at the amount of money nickelback makes and the amount of plays they get it is widely widely received as good music sure absolutely Yeah, there's a reason everybody knows about them (laughs) but then there's like this other idea that like everyone's just like fucking i hate nickelback it's like are you also in private downloading and listening to Nickelback? Because the numbers don't make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the number of people that say they hate Nickelback and the number of people that actively listen to Nickelback is, you know, those numbers just don't, I can't reconcile. Them. Sure. Sure. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, um, 
And yeah, I, I, I think uh, that's something I've I've come around on is, you know, I it's all that younger thing. I mean, you said it, your example with the screamo music. I'm sure I did it back in the day where I was just like, I'm never going to experience that because that's stupid, you know. Um, yeah. I, I could not be further from that now where, um, you know, I'll. I'll watch damn near anything. Up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> because because now I'm at the point where it's like no matter what I watch, um, I will have something to think about with it. You know, um, sure. and that and that's just good fun. Um, so yeah, that was our philosophical. Well, we've been on a lot. We've been on a few philosophical corners in this episode about time travel and about consumption of media. Maybe to get back to Primer, something I wanted to ask you, Ben. Um, something that I've always had in the back of my head since learning about this movie or watching it for the first time. Do you have any thoughts on why you think it's titled Primer? And I, I'm not going to come at you with, like, a real answer. I don't have, like, an interview with Shane Carruth, and he's like, this is why it's called Primer. I just wanted to see if you had any idea on why you think it's called Primer. No, I actually don't. Okay. I, uh, I could probably come up with something, but I – when I was watching it, I was just like, why the fuck is this called Primer? Right? Like, I I, that yeah, time. that's what I've thought over the last few years. Every Like, when I think about it, I'm just like, what the fuck is that called Primer for, you know? And it's uh, uh, contrary to what we said at the start of this episode. It's not about painting, um, which would have – you know, put that to bed. But uh, I think it goes back to what I was saying about this becoming like a moral quandary movie or an ethical dilemma movie. I, I think of it more, uh, I think of this title in the sense of the definition of the word primer as an introductory text. I think that, you know, like... um Yeah, like, like a... a, a uh, yeah. A jumping off point or... A, a jumping off point, yeah. I, I can't think of an example of, you know, um but like, you know, uh, like... Some, there's probably some classical, you know, um, real analysis textbook or or topology textbook that we could call a primer because it's an introduction to it or something, you know. And so I just yeah. kind of come to see this as as this is like a primer about the lessons of time travel because it gets so much into that ethics. But mm. like I said, I don't have a good answer. I just kind of always I, found it weird that it's called primer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I the the best things that I that I am kind of thinking of now, like they're they're not well formed and it's. It has something to do with, like, the way that it was accidentally discovered. Like, Ooh. discovery is a primer for other discovery, almost. Okay. Um, but, but no, I don't. I, I don't have, like, a good idea of, of why they called it that. So, other than that, I think it will take paint if you... <laughs> Definitely. On, on the paint thing, as much as we're joking about it, um, uh, if you Google primer definition, the, the first one that comes up is... Um, a substance used as a preparatory coat on previously unpainted wood, metal, or canvas, um, especially to prevent the absorption of subsequent layers of paint, blah, 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 you know? But take away the, the physical application of that. It's like, just this, like, you know, take, you know, pick and choose what I want to talk about. A substance used as a preparatory coat. I, I think there might be something there. It's like, you know, this this movie is like, uh, it's it's preparing, like, what to be done with time travel. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but, you know, I think there is a little tie in there, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Very rationalization. It's, uh, while that might be true, I if, I if that is why he named it that, I might think that he's a prick. Ooh. If that makes sense. Yeah, like, a little, you little know, That's some grandiose yeah, shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, maybe more the general, a more general definition: a cosmetic applied to the face before another product. So, yeah, that is a little pretentious, isn't it? You know, um, it also makes me think of like priming the pump for something. You know, like a pump primer uh, to, get, yeah. to get something started like that. Well, and there's even like priming for memory. Oh, um, sure, sure. Where it's like you know, as as many words that you can say that are related to a memory as possible. It's like it starts activating the part of your brain around that memory, and that's called priming. 
Maybe um, maybe you just hit the nail on the head because I mean for a giant chunk of this discussion we've been saying that this movie is a a jumping off point to discuss so many fantastically interesting ideas about time travel. So this has literally primed us for this discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh god. Uh... It is it is really interesting though that 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 it's called Primer and you know I mean I don't think I have a different name, you know. It's uh it's one of those things where it's like, you know, hindsight They, they could have called it the box. Could have called it the box. Um yeah, Which would have been a bad name. That would have been a bad <laughs> name. Um, the, the Box is also a different movie directed by yeah. uh, our good fan, our good, our good friend Richard Kelly, who did Donnie Darko and Southland Tales, his third movie and last movie at this time of recording, and for the foreseeable future is called The Box. <laughs> uh, I think I've seen it. I don't think it's good. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, that's the one Richard Kelly movie I still have not seen, and I'm kind of holding off because I know it gets a lot of hate, and uh, of course I love Donnie Darko. I I uh, adore Southland Tales. I'm not ready for another experience into Richard Kelly yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I wanted to pick your brain on that because it's so weird. Um, but also, something I wanted to mention, something that I'm glad I had the time to do, uh, consume a new piece of media before this recording. I've known about it for a long, long time, but I'd never seen it. Uh, Shane Carruth does have another movie, um, which he has as much control over, maybe a little less because it actually costs, I think it costs maybe... 500000 or something, so he had a lot bigger budget, but it came out in 2013, I think. Um, it's called Upstream Color, and uh, I had known about it. I had never seen it. I, I had the chance, thankfully, to watch it last night, so I wanted to get it in before this recording because I love Primer so much. I wanted to see what this other one was about, and I just wanted to talk mm. about it a little bit um, because it is, it is very interesting. Um, it's not about time travel. Um, it is much, much more abstract than this, where I think, you know, the abstraction in the narrative comes in this movie because it mimics the confusion that is caused by the notion of the box and time travel. Um, Mm. This upstream color has a reason for it being, you know, confusing and and nonlinear, but I think it's a little more experimental and abstract just to kind of push the envelope. Um, Okay. Which I have no problem with, but uh, it seems like more people have issue with. Of course, Upstream Color is nowhere near as famous as Primer. The the first thing that interested me is that Upstream Color starts immediately where Primer ends. And I don't mean like it picks up where the story leaves off. What I mean is if you watch Primer all the way through to the end of the credits, the after all the credits, there is like a logo, which I've always thought of as like the Primer logo. Like it's like two Ps overlaid on top of each other. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, like... So that's where Primer ends. Like, if you watch Primer, you know, when the file or the, uh, the, the video ends, it, like, ends on the shot of that symbol. Um, Upstream Color starts on a shot of that symbol. And I really I thought that was interesting. Primer also starts on a shot of that symbol. Yes, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. So I, I think it's, like, that's just how they do movies. Sure, the, sure. This it's, guy. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting artistic choice. I, I appreciate it. Of, of course, everybody knows my, my wonderful affinity for Finnegan's Wake, the book that um, starts at the, in the middle of the sentence that it ends on. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so I watched it. It is very interesting. So I've already said abstract and all that stuff. The, the general idea of the movie is um, there is this, this, like, larva. There's this parasite, I would call it that um, when somebody ingests it, it makes them completely susceptible to the power of suggestion. Um, okay. So what was the what was da- David Tennant's, you know, the bad guy from Jessica Jones with the power of suggestion? What was his name? Kill- it wasn't Kilroy, was it? Yeah, it was. It was, was it Kilroy? Kilroy? Okay, Kilroy. I, when I was trying to think of this earlier today when I wasn't near a computer or something, I was like, was it Killmonger? I'm like, no, that's the guy from Black Panther. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, Kilroy, we'll go with that. Hey, kids. 
I'm sure someone out there was yelling at us uh, while we were misremembering the name of the villain from the first season of Jessica Jones. It is actually Kilgrave. But it basically, you know, if like you're around somebody who has ingested this parasite, you can, you know, you basically have the power of suggestion over them. And the first act of the movie is that a woman kind of gets like, you know, tased and knocked out. She gets forced um, to eat or ingest this parasite. And the guy that does it to her, um, you know, basically controls her like a puppet through the power of suggestion to just t- like grift her for all she has. It's not even a grift, you know, it's just like, um, you know, takes all her money, makes her liquid, liquidate her house and stuff like that. Like basically it's, it's a theft scam. Um, okay. it is, there are some scenes at the beginning that are absolutely horrifying because through the power of suggestion, it's almost unlimited at what it seems you can do in the movie. Like, um, like, the guy basically, you know, there's a scene where the woman, while she's uh, under the um, influence of this parasite, she's sitting in front of a painting, like a still painting. I think it's of a deer or something. And she's laughing at it like it's a TV, like hysterically laughing at it, like she's watching a comedy show or something, while okay. eating a bowl of ice with a spoon like it's a bowl of cereal. And oh the God. movie sets up that it, the guy is like, you know, you like you think this is delicious. You think you are watching something enjoyable. And it, it really is kind of chilling, you know, with somebody with that amount of power over you. Have you ever heard of a drug called Devil's Breath? Yes, yes, I was going to bring that up. It's very similar to that idea. Um, and uh, there's an SVU episode, Law & Order SVU episode, about something with Devil's Breath. That is, uh, They don't play it as, as haunting and chilling as this does, but uh, very scary about losing, like, losing that much control over yourself, you know? And yeah. being susceptible to another, not just losing your control. You know, it's not like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or a Wolfman, right. which you, is... Where you become, like, a exactly. uninhibited... Where you still have some agency over yourself. It's like really losing yourself to somebody else. Um, but, you know, um, th- this guy, this thief, I think he's credited as thief, you know, he, he has... To, it's really interesting because he has to give, like, in this whole first act, he has to give, like, you know... He seems to give, like, reasons to things. He doesn't just say, like, you know, oh... Don't look at me. There's a really cool line where he says something like, you know, like the dialogue is something like, I have to apologize. I was born with a deformity in which my head is made from the same material as the sun, so you can never look directly at me. And the woman's like, okay, so that's how he like never, like the woman can't remember what his face looks like or something like that. Oh, wow. Just the fucking notion of being like, you know, my head is made from the same material as the sun. I, that, this happens like 10, maybe eight, 10 minutes in the movie. I'm like, I'm fucking on board. This is crazy. But then there's more reasonable. That's true for everybody. Uh, (laughs) We're we're all made of star stuff. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Uh, But we can look at most people. They're not, they're, they're not luminescent. Um, but then there's more reasonable ones, like when um, he's like, he wants her to go to the bank and like withdraw a bunch of money. Like as they're driving up to the bank, he'll say to her, he's like, "You think it's a beautiful day outside today, and you want to go for a little walk, so you're going to park two blocks away from the bank." And so it's like the, he's never going to be on the bank security cameras and stuff like okay, that. Sure. Like it is, it is fascinating. Like it is really, really chilling and fascinating. That's smart. I, mean, I don't even know that. I would have thought to do that. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. And it's it's very, very, you know, it's it's once again, it's it's Shane Carruth, and he definitely has uh, a knack for some of this interesting storytelling, and uh, and I was just, like, all about it. But that's the first act. Um, the thief kind of, you know, takes her for all she's worth. There's this, when it starts to get, re- like, everything so far is pretty straightforward. You totally get what's going on. It, when it gets more abstract is after the thief leaves her, she kind of gets, like, summoned. So while this parasite is still inside of her, like, there's this other character that, like, sets up these speakers that, like, pulse noise directly into the ground, and that somehow, like, summons her to his location, and he extracts the parasite, which has grown to, like, 
almost take up like her whole, you know, like um, cardiovascular system or something like that. It's like in Adventure Time in the Jake suit episode when Jake goes into Finn. You see that shot of like Jake stretched throughout all of Finn's limbs and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's what the parasite basically does. And so there's this whole thing where like the guy like has to extract the parasite and it's huge, like not even like tapeworm huge. It's like mm, it's ridiculous. And he extracts it from her, but like puts it into a pig. And so then okay. this pig gets put in a pen with a bunch of other pigs. And it starts, like I said, it starts getting really abstract. But then the rest of the movie is that this woman, she, like, comes out of this uh, whole instance, this whole, like, you know, being under the influence of this parasite. She, like, wakes up in her car on the side of the road. She has very little memory of what happened. She goes back to her house. She finds out all her funds are gone. You know, the house is a mess and stuff like that. And then I think there's, like, a time jump of a year where she's, like, you know, she thinks she had some disease. She's on some medication. And she meets up or in somehow comes into contact one of the things i was really a little unsure about how they meet um but she meets shane carruth another character and they bond over the fact that they both had this happen to them and you learn that shane carruth was also his character was also um you know was under the influence of this parasite and like the the thief like caused him to to steal a bunch of money from his firm and stuff like that and um you know and, and they basically form a relationship like they bond over this and um you know they they start a relationship but things are still weird like, there's this whole thing about how they, like, they lose some of their memories or when, like, one of them tells a story about something that happened to them when they were younger. There's, there'll be another scene where, like, the other one says the same story and they'll, like, argue about it. It's like, no, that was my memory. And it's like, no, it was like, that's my memory. And so something Shit. is really going on. And then eventually they, the, the movie kind of, you know, gets more abstract, of course, but turns into them figuring out what happened to them and trying to, you know, stop this thief and stop the cycle of the thief and things like that. Hmm. And really, so so I, I think it is a very interesting movie. It's very, if anybody out there, I've talked about him before, uh, a Japanese author, uh, Haruki Murakami, very, very similar to that in the, in the sense of the, what I got from the themes of the movie. Um, Haruki Murakami wrote a book called Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World, which is very similar to this notion of what if you lost a part of yourself? And not only did you lose a part of yourself, but where that part is now stored still has an impact on you. Because throughout Mm -hmm. the movie, I got the sense that this parasite that was removed from these people and put into pigs, and you learn that that's like what these pigs are being kept are. They're like different people's parasites just put in this pig. You get the sense that like what happens to these pigs impacts the people in some way like there's a scene where the woman goes to the doctor and she's like i think i'm pregnant and the doctor's like well you are 100 percent not pregnant but the pig that has her parasite in it is pregnant and when it gives birth and the the he's not a farmer he's credited as like the sampler because there's this whole other thing about sound design in this movie that i can't even get into it's it's so difficult to explain but it's like the the farmer like takes the piglets away from this pig and literally puts them in a sack and drowns them like it's a pretty brutal scene but like when that happens the woman you know who's tied to that pig who gave birth and lost the piglets like in real life she starts to like freak out and she like doesn't know what's going on it's like it's almost like this sense of dread comes over her and she doesn't understand why and things like that and so thematically i took this whole meaning of like what if you lost a part of yourself like not just the financials that the thief takes but what if you what if this parasite like took something from you and it was stored in a different creature that you were somehow still tethered to? And it was just very, very frightening to me because I've always heard the thing of like, like we said, you know, the Wolfman or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I think very, very commonly those get seen as, you know, allegories for losing yourself. Or maybe another example is when we talked about where did the party go with, with Gabe in the Youngblood Chronicles. And she brought up the idea of, you know, 
isn't it scary when you lose yourself and when you come to and you realize what you've done, you know, the, um, mm. the, the, the allegory for alcoholism or, you know, drug use and you, you lose yourself. And when you realize you've come back, you just, you know, you're like, oh man, how could I do that? But in a lot of these stories, I feel like those parts are separate. Like I think in the, the original Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story, you know, um, whichever the good one is, I can never remember. I think, I think, Dr. Jekyll. I don't know which one's the bad one, whatever. But it's like he knows he done, he's done something bad, but he's like, oh, he has no control over it. Maybe the Hulk is a better example. Like, you know, sure. in the original Hulk comics, it was like, oh, he'd Hulk out and he'd lose control and he'd be angry about it, but he really couldn't, you know, connect the two. There's something yeah. really scary to me about it. It's like, well, what if somebody took a part of you, but you still were impacted by that part of you and you really had no control over it? I, I don't know. There's just something so... It, it's almost like maybe... um. Um, a recent example, the idea of get out. Remember in get out, like, it's not like the people, like, completely er get erased and a new person goes in their brain. Like, the old person gets pushed down. And they still I can actually see haven't what's going seen on. Get Out. Oh, that's a great I, movie, yeah. I intend to watch it. Yes. And, but that has the notion of it's like, we're not erasing your brain and your memories. We're just dampening it. So you're still seeing what's going on, but you're not in control of yourself. And and this uh, this whole notion that's of... horrifying. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrifying. So... So Upstream Color was a scary movie to me, um, but the sound design is fantastic. Like I said, there's a whole thing about sound in this movie that plays a huge role in how sound is manufactured, and it, it, it did a little bit to me like what Anomalisa did. I know I've told Ben and the, and the cinema audience about Anomalisa that like after I watched it, I really was like had existential angst about the idea of, you know, I, I was having like, like a, a breakdown about it. it's like, well, what if I am hearing things differently from other people? And it's like, you know, you know, the thing of it's like, how do I know when I see the color green, it's the same thing that someone else is seeing the color green, but with, with right. like oral idea, A-U-R-L, you know, uh, auditory things. And that's really scary to me for some reason. Um, okay. So Upstream Color was a doozy. I just wanted to get that out there because I wanted to highlight that, that it is very much worth watching, just like Primer is. It's a very different movie from Primer. Um, and then also... That's the only other movie we have from him. We don't. He only has two, and um, he has said in interviews that he has something bigger in the works. Uh, but with this whole thing with the domestic abuse and out on bond, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> sure. Um, do we know like details about the domestic abuse? Um, was it like was it like a really good domestic abuse? <laughs> is it like? Did he beat the crap out of her? Like, what happened? For this one, uh, the one that he's out on bond for, I believe their arrest was on January the 2nd. One? The one? There's more? There is more. Uh, All right. So, so the earlier one was actually with his uh, his longtime partner and the other star of Upstream Color. Um, her name is Amy Semetz, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. They were together for a while, and then eventually... You know, she alleged domestic abuse, got a restraining order and all that stuff. That was the first I could find. This new one, I couldn't find any real detail. This, is this new one. Um, the latest project from Shane Carruth, going to jail for <laughs> domestic abuse. Um, I couldn't find a lot of details. I have to admit I didn't dig too far because, you know, that, that's a, it's always a sad rabbit hole, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but, no, I don't know. I don't know how uh, I'm, aggressive I'm just it was. nosy. I want to know. No, I don't, I don't blame you. I don't, I don't blame you at all. <laughs> Like we had, we just got notified that there's a sex offender that moved in like like two blocks away from where we bought our house. Oh God! And I'm just like, he's like sixty something now. He he did a sex offense when he was like forty, lewd and lascivious acts around a minor or to a minor or something like that. Sure. And I was like, I need more than that. Like, is he flashing young girls? 
Is he sure. groping him? Did, like he, what? did he pee in a park at the wrong place, wrong time type of thing? Like, what's the degree of right. it, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I'd want that information, too, because um, I'm with you. I am, I am nosy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm one of those people. You know, I'm only, I'm only 29, and I'm, I'm definitely – I peek through my curtains when I hear shit outside my apartment. You know, I definitely do that. <laughs> that's, that's from the years of drug abuse, Rob. You're just paranoid. That, that could be it as well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, the article that's linked uh, that I was uh, looking into, it does not give more details from a quick scan right now. And uh, Carruth did not respond for requests for comment. So. Dang. So I don't know. Oh, did you request for comment? Because we should. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine that email? It's like, hey, Shane Carruth, you know, we just, we are a small podcast. We really like uh, interesting movies. We loved Primer. You know, we also talked about Upstream Color. That was really interesting. We'd love the chance to interview you about your domestic assault charges. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you have the time, how did you get here? Oh, God. That's what I need to know. Like, did she overcook the lasagna again? <laughs> <laughs> you burnt the lasagna again? <laughs> It's like, you know, we got to know. I'm with you. I'm with you. I would like to know as well. Well, I mean, Ben, with all that out of the way, this is a doozy. I knew this was going to be a good discussion. Was there anything else you wanted to highlight about uh, Primer? Was there any questions you had about Upstream Color? Um, was there any anything else you wanted to know about Shane Carruth? Uh, it seems like that's his only... Uh, his only like uh, personal juicy drama I could find, so I you know I can't get a, I can't give you anything else there. But anything else you had for this uh, before we get to our questions? No, I think I'm good for questions. Let's let's kick it on over. Okay, well, um, okay, this is this is okay, okay. Let me just let me just say it. Cinemodities. This is one I'm kind of torn on. I I love this movie. Like I've made abundantly clear, I think I think it is a very unique film. I, I don't think uh, that it, it, it does fall into certain, you know, things like I made some comparison with the third act to Lynch and things like that. I think there is a lot of neat science fiction that other people have compared to uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey with the chunk of that movie that is very scientific and things like that. I, I kind of have to say I don't think it's a cinemodity, though. It's the story gets told in a weird way. It's a human character study, like I, like I talked about. I don't really think it makes it odd. It makes it almost an appropriate fit for a time travel movie. Like when I, watched I mean, the, you yeah. described it as unique, and then they're going to say it's not odd, isn't I, I know that, that's what I'm kind of torn on, and that's what I kind of wanted to talk about is that, you know. But I, I find it unique, but it's almost like when I see it and when I watch it and when I think about it, I go, oh, this is how a time travel movie should be put together. And it's, it's kind of like a perfect match, and I don't know if that makes it Odd, and I, that's the same thing. I'm I'm not really fleshed out with this idea in the in in a in a full way. So I don't know. What did you think? Maybe that'll help me reach an answer. I, I was kind of torn on cinemodity. Uh, well, I definitely found the low budget aspect of it to be like to make it appear pretty odd. It, sure. You know the fact that it comes across as this like grainy documentary style filming. Uh, I definitely I definitely thought that was pretty odd, and like the storytelling, really all of it around. Like I definitely definitely get odd vibes from this movie, but. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I think I'd have to say, yeah, it is a cinemodity. It's not the oddest cinemodity. Okay, okay. Um, but it is it is pretty odd. You know what? Another thing that, that comes to mind when I was thinking about this was um, something you said back when we did the Nowhere In. I, I believe it was the Nowhere In where you said, um, you know, you were like, it is a cinemodity. And I believe you said something along the lines of, you don't want something to be a cinemodity just because of camera tricks. Yes. That yeah. was very, you know, camera tricks was very, very much tied to the cinematography of... 
uh, of the Nowhere Inn. But I, I, that's kind of what I was feeling with this one. I mean, I don't really want to say this is a cinemodity because they told the story in a jumbled up, interesting way. I feel like if I say this is a cinemodity for that reason, for that reason, I, I, maybe I'm not sure. I want to focus in on just that reason, the storytelling and the way the story's told, you know, other mm-hmm. things aside, the uniqueness of the time travel, maybe. I feel like if I say yes to a cinemodity for this, for that reason, well, then aren't like Guy Ritchie movies all a cinemodity then? Because they're jumbled up and told, like Wrath of Man, that's told in a really interesting yeah. way. I mean, But um, that's not a cinemodity. Yeah. That's a crime movie that's told with a little bit of flair. Yeah. I feel you on that. I think that's where my problem lies, is that I don't know okay. how much I want to I give credit to the, the ingenuity of the filmmaker relative to, you know, the, what I think of as a cinemodity, if that makes sense. Well, you know, to be fair, I don't have a good understanding of what that is. Um, yeah, that's but, also our problem, that we, we, we keep it as an undefined term almost. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I can definitely get on board with that. Like, non sequitur... We we've done it enough that non sequitur is not odd anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's strange. It's a it's a doozy. I mean, just and that that's the other thing. After I watched this movie and had all these great thoughts, and even after this conversation, having all these these fun, fascinating ideas about time travel, then I got to the questions. Questions usually I'm the easy part. I'm always like, okay, I know what I want to say, and this is just like Jesus Christ. This this movie has got my brain turning too fast. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch an episode of Zoo to calm down. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm probably still going to stick with it. It is a cinemodity, but I can definitely understand why you're hesitant about it. Yeah, I, I think if if I had to lean strongly one way or another, I would probably say at the end, at the end of this discussion, uh, that I would I would probably be leaning towards yes because of the uniqueness and because of that. You know, I I don't really think there is anything else quite like this. At least nothing I've ever heard of or seen. And that, yeah, that and is that is almost, you know, if you want to break it down to the, the, the oddity part of this, that almost might make it a textbook odd film. <laughs> right. So that was the tough one. Um, the late night, though, piece of cake. Know your audience, but hell yes. If you know that you're going to get good conversation with somebody, like, you know, like uh, with you and I, Ben, um, definitely. I think this is a perfect example of a late night movie. 75 minutes, get in, get out, have a lot of great discussion. But once again, I think the important, the operative part of this answer is know your audience. I, I know some friends of mine that I would never show them this movie. I would never even bring it up to talk about it with them because, man, you know, they, they, would, they would say this is boring. Why are people talking so much? Why sure. is the car chase scene so lame, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why does it last half a block, you know, things like that? Um, but if the you got the right car chase scene with with, uh, with Thomas Granger. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Where it's just like is he following us and they stop and get out. That's the car chase scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he goes into a coma. I think. Yes, yes. Um, but if you know somebody who's gonna who's gonna latch onto these ideas, if you have a a uh, scientifically minded friend, not even scientifically, I want to say, if you have an open minded friend who really likes to just you know go through a thought experiment, this is the perfect one of the perfect late night movies, I think, for that case. So I got to go. I uh, know your audience, but hell yes, I'm definitely gonna have to to mimic that. Uh, there is definitely. Some people that were showing this to them. Uh, have you, you know, you familiar with the, the saying or like the the phrase in the Bible, like "Don't cast pearls before swine." Oh, sure, yeah. There are some people that this movie would be wasted on. Mm, that, yeah, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's that's what that sentiment is about. Like, don't don't give important parts of yourself to people who won't appreciate it. And and I think that that applies to this movie. That's a great. Is, yeah, you're absolutely right because nothing 
is well in terms of word of mouth you know or people talking about things you know it's um it's it's the response bias aspect people are more likely to talk about the extremes and i think we both know from experience if somebody hates something oh man are they going to tell people they hate it and yeah. i think that would do a disservice to this movie like you said if it's if it is wasted on somebody you know they might go out in their own lives and say it's like oh man my friend made me watch this movie primer it's the stupidest thing all they do is talk it's it's like there's nothing happens in the movie and then when something happens you can't even understand what's happening and it they're going to misrepresent the movie well i i think that that might be true but that, that's not even what i'm concerned about oh, i'm oh, more sorry. concerned okay. about the waste of time it's like <laughs> okay yeah like, i don't i don't want to hear you bitch about this movie you know like i like this movie enough that if if i had to sit Around someone bitching uh, about it, I might have, I might have issues. That is a great point. Uh, little footnote or little asterisk here to read the footnote. See our discussion of Southland Tales. That movie <laughs> was wasted on Justin, which is why we will revisit it one day because we still have the theatrical cut. Ben, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a that's a great point, and I think this movie is a, a great uh, exemplar of that category for sure, a hundred percent. So I, I think then that brings us to the restaurant, and I want to start by saying this might have worked out better than we could have ever imagined, Ben, because as everybody knows, we go through the turnstiles, we, we live in the box, or whatever the hell we want to talk about with the weird way we record and bank up episodes. There is an episode that our cinema audience will hear in a few weeks that Ben and I have already recorded. I don't want to say what episode or what the topic is, because it's part of a, a certain series that is going to come across as unexpected, but in the snacks for that episode, I say... You, I think you bring up something, and you're like, "Do we? Have, what are we using for ice in the restaurant? And I say, I'm pretty sure all of our ice is, like, dirty ice, but I don't remember where we included that. It's this fucking episode, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is an episode that we had not recorded, but recorded in the future. We fucking live in the turnstiles, everybody. But my first <laughs> snack is that for all of the uses of ice in the restaurant, I would like to use dirty ice. I also have to say, at this point, right now in this moment, I don't remember what in this movie made me think that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had written it down already in my notes, and that's why it came up in the episode you guys will well, hear in that, a few weeks. <laughs> that will explain why we won't remember it later. <laughs> yes. Yes. Everybody, this is like real time. This is not a bit or anything. This is literally Ben and I having a time travel memory problem right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where it comes from. I would like dirty ice. Now, what does dirty ice mean? I don't really know. Maybe it's ice we got from the ground, or I will probably have to go back and rack my brain into what the hell ice came into play in this movie. Um, but on the topic of ice, I would like to take um, something from Upstream Color, which is why I described it earlier, because it's chilling and it's also there. I would love to serve ice cereal. So it's just a bowl of ice cubes with a spoon. <laughs> nice. Um, and I want, like, full cubes. Because, I mean, like, everybody knows you can chew on ice chips, you know, that type of thing. I want, like, right. cubes. Like, it's going to be tough to eat this ice. Like, you're waiting for it to melt, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you're hurting your sensitive teeth. I got you. Um, yeah, definitely. And then I had one other thing for the restaurant that is uh, an experience, not a snack. Uh, but before I get to that, what did you have? Did you have any snacks or, or food or anything? Um, or, or do you have any idea why I would have thought ice from this movie? <laughs> I, I don't. I I don't have any idea why you would have thought ice. I couldn't I, fucking remember it, man. Like I, I like I got off my call before we started, uh, you know, recording, and I was looking through my notes to catch myself up, and I was just like, "Where the fuck did this come from?" <laughs> <laughs> I um I think that we need something that that kind of like represents this like loop 
this loop aspect, this back from A to B over and over again. Like we need a way for people to get older than they actually are in the restaurant. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. When you said loop, it made me think of uh, when we did our Spider-Man No Way Home discussion, uh, we talked about having uh, in the Sin E-Modities portion of the restaurant a slide with a portal at the start and the end of it so kids are just falling forever, you know? Um, right. Not that, I don't know if that relates to it, but Loop made me think of that as well. <laughs> uh, but other snacks, I mean, these people are, like, super poor throughout, so, like, we need poor people snacks. We probably also need, um, what's the... Whatever the drug is that the guy put in the milk, we should probably start putting that in our milk. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, something to sedate people or incapacitate them. Yep, yep. Yeah, that, that's just, that's just you know, good business sense, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I just like the fact that, you know, we are tampering with tamper-proof lids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that fits with my uh, wanting to rip a, a hole in the cosmos with my use of time travel, you know? It's like, don't fucking tell me it's tamper-proof. It's tamper-resistant, bitch. <laughs> I'm not sure if um, if it'll be easier to clone people or actually get time clones. Okay. I feel like we have some something involving clones. But, but now I'm just de- – every now, now I've fucking gotten myself into a hole where every time I, I think of something we might have in the restaurant, I have to be like, or is it in the restaurant? Is it in the spreadsheet already? Or is it going to be in the spreadsheet in two months from now? <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I think that we should uh, we should definitely have a, a, like an, an interactive area where people can interact with you know past versions of themselves. Okay. Okay. And uh, and knock them out and put them in a basement or or in an attic. <laughs> sure, um, sure. I think it's important that you hurt your past self. Um, I'm, with, I'm with that. I'm with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I think that. everybody needs to. I think everybody needs to know that it's important. Also, sure, sure. So, so getting into what you're saying, you know, the actual, um, you know, machinations of this movie and the time travel. Th- this is the other one I had. Um, so I want a a box in the restaurant. So it's it's basically going to look like you know uh, and and mimic the box from this movie, the time travel device um, sure. uh, that people can pay to use. But we make it seem like it, it's something that isn't too well known. You know, like we make it seem like it's on the hush hush. So if somebody okay. learns about it and, you know, wants to pay to use it, we make it seem like it's like, oh, this is very special. This is, you know, this is just for you type of thing, like a, 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 sell, a selling tactic or something. Um, yeah, sure. And we tell them, you know, we advertise it. And maybe that's part of the reason we keep it hush hush that it is this time travel device, that it is this way, you know, maybe because we always take things from these movies and we, we, you know, recognize the films we take them from in the restaurant. So it's like, you know, hey, you know, it's like the primer box, that type of thing. And, sure. and you know, so basically – we get these people, we like, we like basically, you know, drag them in, we, we get the selling point, you know, and we get them and they pay, they pay for the experience to use the box, they think they're going to go back in time, but it's just a plain old box and they just paid to waste their time. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just think it'd be fun that they come out and they'd be like, oh, like I was saying before about what if we could like drug and put a person in a box, how would they learn about they're in a different time? This, I want someone to come out and be like, you know, it's like that old episode of SpongeBob where they think they go to the moon or something. And they're they're like they like go to Squidward and they're like they think they're on a different planet or something and and you know stuff like that but really they're just back home they just run in a box or some shit so I'd love yeah. the idea that a customer comes out and he's like okay I'm six hours six hours in the past what can I do what I can I like, <laughs> yeah he's like oh I gotta get a computer I gotta do some I gotta you know invest in this or something like that and then I would just love to see that look on their face when they get on the computer or something and be like wait 
did I just sit in a fucking box for six hours? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that idea. So that was my idea. We would basically have just a regular cardboard box. Oh, it'd look fancy, you know. Have the duct tape on it for the argon leaks and stuff like that. Sure. And just, just make the our customers sit in straps, I think they used. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But I just, <laughs> just love the idea. Make them sit in a box. You paid to sit in a box. <laughs> and when they get out, we're just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Do you want to do it again? <laughs> maybe it'll be different. Yeah, this time. yeah, maybe it'll work this time. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh my god, could you imagine like the uh like the upsell on it or like the resell on it be like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, we forgot to turn it on or whatever, you know. It's like right. just get in there for another 6 hours." <laughs> yeah, it turns it turns out it was actually only on for like half a minute and then you've just <laughs> not <laughs> Anyway. Oh man, and I actually kind of like that because then, uh, then we could um, with our whoever's selling this, you know, whether it be the wait staff or there's dedicated salesmen, whoever the hell's like trying to get the customer involved in this, we take the idea of the power of suggestion from Upstream Color, except we're just trying to prey on the gull- the natural gullibility <laughs> of our customers, and be like, you know, maybe that's an employee of the month type of competition where it's not like how many cars can you sell or how maybe you know how many uh, how many customers can you serve. It's like you know how many times do you get the same person to go back for six hours into the stupid fucking cardboard box <laughs> and something that's like a master and he's like dude i got this one guy in there five times in a row like this dude's a fool <laughs> they're like dude that that guy was like mentally retarded <laughs> like that is a learning disabled person that was predatory <laughs> and and he'll be like and and your sympathy for him is why i'm always gonna win <laughs> yes, uh you know yes exactly <laughs> He's that the Aaron of the uh, of the group where he's like, you know, I'm going to prey on any any <laughs> anything I can. <laughs> oh god, that's good. That's good. Anything else for the restaurant, Ben, other than the No. Or would you I'm like good. to get into a box right now and start this episode over? <laughs> uh I think we already did. And that's probably right. <laughs> I haven't eaten since later this evening. What a good line, man. What a good what a good fucking later line of dialogue. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, primer, we finished it. This is a doozy of a discussion, uh, which we've had, will have, might have already had, who knows. Uh, will have had. Will have had, something like that, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, of course, uh, I know I've been sprinkling it in through this entire episode because everybody should check it out. But, of course, head on over to the Cinemodities Patreon for a bunch more episodes. There's a whole backlog that you get access to for just $5 a month and new episodes every first, 15th, and last of the month. And uh, it's some good stuff. Um, we do things that, you know, we usually wouldn't cover on the main feed or would not cover on the main feed, so it gives you a little different outlet. But that's, of course, uh, patreon.com slash cinemodities. And not only do you get all those sweet, sweet bonus episodes or extra episodes, you also support the podcast to keep us going, um, which, uh, which is actually coming up at the time of this recording. Uh, we will have to uh, withdraw some of that Patreon money to keep us afloat for another year. So thank you to everybody who's uh, subscribed so far and uh, has uh, actually funded the podcast. And so we hope you like it because uh, you're going to get us for a whole nother 365 days because of it. <laughs> That's right. Um, you have subsidized this. Yes, absolutely. Ben, what would you like to pitch at the end of this? Uh, if anybody wants to uh, buy a circuit board from your garage, where could they do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I saw them on Etsy. No, um, <laughs> they're designer circuit boards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They have they have the neon lights and the yeah, and, stuff. and the chrome. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, they're they're definitely chromed out. Um, yeah, come check us out on the Patreon. We would love to have you. We'd love to have you listen to our stuff. Listen to it. Tell us what you think of it. All that fun stuff. 
And you know, best part is if you if you do pay to keep us around for another year or you contribute towards that, um, then someday you'll get to tell your children that it was your fault. Ah, um, yes. <laughs> and that's you know that's a wonderful a wonderful place to be. Um, so yes, uh, come check it out. Come support us. We love what we're doing, and we love it more when it's not costing us anything because you guys are paying for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so definitely come do that. Um, as always, if you want to support me personally and not Rob, you can download my TCG player, or I'm sorry, my Life Counter app. Um, I thought you were about from, to say you bought the domain <laughs> for TCG player. <laughs> uh, you, you can uh, you can download my Life Counter app from the Play Store or the App Store, and there is links in there so that you can go to TCG player buy and fill all of your TCG player needs without paying any extra money, uh, but also supporting me as I do get a nice little kickback from that. Uh, it's actually pretty high. It's like 3% or 3.5%, something like that. It's pretty crazy. Nice. Um, so all of that is definitely helpful, and um, that is why the app is free now because uh, I make all of the money I make uh, through TCG player instead of purchased downloads. So yes, please check it out. Buy your your new fucking magic cards. When this comes out, I think Streets of New Capenna is probably going to be right around the corner. Okay. So go go there, pre-order. Uh, depending on, yeah, pre-order your Streets of New Capenna boxes from TCG Player and uh, and give me that kickback. Yes, all appropriate links will be in the show notes, of course. So you know exactly where to go. You have no excuse not to get there through the right channels. Um, all right. Well, then, of course, as always, if you want to uh, argue with us about the time, uh, merits of time travel, if you want to uh, send us a message from a different time, you can always reach us uh, through email using cinemodities at gmail.com. And, of course, be sure to check out the Cinemodities subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash cinemodities for more information about the show. And then I think, Ben, the last thing is how are we going to end this episode? And I, I actually have to say... I'm kind of coming up short this time. I, I was I didn't really have an idea while watching it because I mean you know there's there's not really a song used in this. Um, I was kind of thinking I'll just grab some of the score and play that in reverse because the score is pretty good. I mean I like the music in this movie, but I kind of thought that was it. I was so engrossed with everything else going on in this movie. Uh, that's one thing I didn't uh, have a good answer to. Was there anything that you thought of? Uh, well, so prob- probably just some of the score, but I don't think we need to. We needed to play it in reverse and then play it forward and then play it in reverse and Ooh, then play it forward. Sure. Yeah, we have to the, the loop loop in some way. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we need the same section of it just played in reverse and then forward over and over again. That's what we need. <laughs> so what you're saying is this is going to be the longest episode of Cinemodities ever because it will never end. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it will end. It just has to happen like 1,300 times before. Oh, that's right. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I think I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a chunk of the score, play it in reverse. Uh, put that when that when that chunk ends in reverse, play it forwards. Copy that thirteen hundred times. Giant fade out on the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, f- fading out the whole time, like over the whole. Yes, yes. I, I mean, depending on how long the chunk is, we're talking minutes. Yeah, of, it's like it's like the scene when he, um, we didn't even talk about when Ava unhooks the batteries and the machine slowly, uh, you know, winds down. Oh yeah, yeah. It's gonna be that. Yeah. It's gonna be that. Okay, everybody, dude, dude, I like this. Um. I don't know if Ben has heard it, but because uh, it just came out yesterday in real time. But the end of the Clock Stoppers episode, I definitely do have Uncle Cracker's Time After Time sped up to four seconds. <laughs> oh, nice! Like the whole song. The whole song sped up to That's four great. seconds, and so it is like. <laughs> <laughs> so That's I like awesome. this. I like messing with the ending thing uh, for sure. So this is no, this is good. The time travel series is working out well for us. <laughs> mm-hmm.